So uh, Bill sounded like he was talking from the bottom of a well. Yeah, hopefully you guys are giving the podcast a second chance and listening in this week. Here's my recommendation. If you have the Blue Yeti microphone, read the manual and uh, don't go this button and maybe record a little bit and then listen to it. We, oh, we were also recording in a different room that was less yeah. padded. That also, the, the acoustics weren't as good. But yeah, no, that was fucking trash. That was awful. Uh, so, I did not even listen to last week. <laughs> I tried twice to listen to last week's episode. I got about five minutes in and I was like, man, fuck this noise. So congratulations to anyone who's returned and actually decided to give us a second chance we owe you we should send you some uh, nerds candy in that's the right. mail and, and a coke and a coke so how you guys doing <laughs> oh we're going down everybody home we're the internet how you doing Bill? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm Annie this is Bill this is Bill and this is the Boy Hattie Podcast this week eventually we're going to talk about comic I books I gave you all my coke you did. You gave me your last call. Oh, no. Before. I can't record unless I got my, uh, man, this is turning into a morning zoo bullshit already. I gotta put on my, uh, I went to Burger King for lunch after de- uh, depositing a bunch of posters in the mail, and I got myself a Burger King crown. He has a Zuzu Pets themed crown. Oh, I didn't, re- is it Zuzu Pets? Yes. There's a Zuzu Pets uh, Burger Queen, uh, Burger Queen clown. Oh, there's a queen one? Bur- can- Burger Queen Well, you are part of the, um, cultural Zeitgeist. Oh, man. Oh, there's You're activities on the other side. These ha- this one has all the uh, feminine Zuzu Oh, pets. man, it was great because like I was there and I was the only person in the whole restaurant yeah it's fucking 9 o'clock in the morning I'm in there and I'm like do you guys serve lunch oh P.S. can I grab you can I grab a crown and the lady little like Eskimo lady she looked like <laughs> she looked at me justifiably like I was retarded <laughs> and, I, and I yeah right off of it Anyway, so this is our comic book podcast. Eventually it will be. But first we got to do the thing we do where we I'm talk about... I'm just Eventually. But first got to do the thing we talk about... We are we recording, have. right? We are recording. <laughs> Always got to double check. we we, okay. we got to talk about the cultural bits and bobs we have consumed in the last week. Yeah, this is our... The, we got to come up with a title for this. This week this is the chatter. This is the chatter portion. This is the chatterbox. This is us talking about... about what do you do? I love soup. <laughs> soup this week was delicious. I think I finished Skyrim. Yeah. Oh, wait, how many thing. hours did you put into it to get to the point? I think you're at I'm now? at seventy-eight hours. Seventy-eight hours. Is, yeah, I'm like twenty-five. I think. I Which think... actually, that's that's actually not that much, considering for saying you can quote unquote beat Skyrim. Oh, granted, you haven't beat the whole thing. Like, well, I have said. not completed Skyrim, but I feel like I've reached the the ending for my character. Which is fine. I mean, if that's what your character is, I, I you finished beat the dragon. Half. I finished the dragon narrative, yeah. and that felt like, and I and my character is at a point where they have to make a choice between her allies and the decision she's made and and i don't you know and i think she are you still deciding between stormcloaks and oh see no this is even in the dragon narrative i don't want to be all spoilery because i really enjoyed everything the places you go you know skyrim is a place of beautiful a game of beautiful locations and even i was impressed with how the end game went oh really so it's the dragon narrative i don't want to spoil it you go to dragon heaven it's it's enjoyable oh i don't want to spoil it shit man Okay, see, I've been so well. So your your shit did not get fucked up because there was something they put out an update for for all the different I did not download versions. it. I did not download and it. And I did download it, and they said do not uh, play. If you've downloaded it, either clear your cache or do not play the game until the next update comes 
because at least on the Xbox 360, it's been borking people's save games. Ugh. And so I have not touched it. Also, I just got Saints Row 3 in, and that's been hogging up all, all my time. Well, no, actually, in the past week, actually, I've not actually had that much time to play games because I've been doing a lot of shipping stuff. Uh, Zelda maps have been going out uh, mm. that I've been selling. I've, literally, in the last week, I've shipped 100 Zelda maps. Wow. Which took a lot of time. Just I keep you out of trouble. Yeah. So anyway, about, go ahead, Skyrim. No, I just think I finished Skyrim, and it's kind of weird. Yeah? You know? Yeah. It's like, I'm done. I think I'm done. Well, you should just put it on the shelf and you, you want to come back to it. If you can borrow Saints Row with me after I'm done in a couple days. <laughs> you can play some Mario Kart with me uh, once I'm done with that in a couple days. I'm just saying. I just feel like I came to the conclusion of my character story and I'm happy with it. Yeah, that's so fine. It's kind of funny. Who's now I can play Assassin's Creed. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Good luck with that. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get a I love Ezio Auditore. I'm going to have a good time. So you haven't played any more of Assassin's Creed since like the No, I played that 15 played minutes. <laughs> that was it. No one, no one's uh, playing Assassin's Creed. Absolutely, no one on my friends list on Xbox Live is playing Assassin's Creed. No one's talking about it. Like you go onto the forums and shit online. You go on NeoGaf. No it sounds like all the reviewers who are obligated to play it were like, eh, it's not yeah, exactly. that bad. Yeah, but like, no one else. Is, yeah. And I heard like like the the fucking tower defense elements in the game were terrible and stuff like that. Yeah. That even people who like the game said it's good, but even like the new stuff they piled on on top of the game to make it seem new. That, like, that's really kind of rushed and stuff. Like, the under, underlying bits are good, but, I'm gonna, know. I'll talk about it next I'm week. I'm fun that it ends without Ezio dying. It's got to. His no, well, he said he's still alive in that Ember's In the Ember's video. thing, because Ember's... If he's gonna die, it should have been in the game. It shouldn't be in some fucking video or No, I think like it's more interesting for him to have to live out the rest of his life. I think that's way more interesting. Eh, I just like the fact, well, if, if he had died in the game and you are actually controlling him when he was di- uh, dying... That would be the first video game character probably ever since you, where you've controlled him from birth to death. That's true. I wish it just had that symmetry, regardless yeah. of what of the story thing. I don't know. There was an opportunity there to do something cool, and they didn't take it. It's let's almost be, let's like, complain about this thing we haven't played. I know. Exactly. Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, because I'm just saying, her. it could be really... We'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll be more informed next week. So, um, what else? So, I did. so we both went to go see movies this week. That was yeah, exciting. You do? I went to go see The Three Musketeers. How was it? That's the new mo- Three the, Musketeers. The new, it's Not the second Richard run. Lester. No, no, no. The, yeah. the Richard Lester is good. I realized that my relationship with Three Musketeers should be what my relationship with Robin Hood is. I'd be a lot more healthy. Yeah. Because my expectations of The Three Musketeers are so, like, I just want to go into a Three Musketeers movie and have a good time. Yeah. I thought that that movie would be um, best watched if I could wait until I could go see it at a theater where I could have a slice of pizza and a beer. Yeah. And that was 100% correct. It was a fucking great time. Because here's the thing. I'm just going to say this. I don't want to spoil the plot because this Three Musketeers is... is so not a story that has been told before. Yeah. Um, they added airships. Here's the thing. When does the Three Musketeers take place? Three Musketeers? It's, it's like, like what, 1600, 1700s? I am not a very good... Whatever Scarlet Pumpernel <laughs> Daffy Duck cartoon takes place. That's all I know. Okay, I'm not yeah. a very good... It should be, uh, it should, it's not, definitely not... All uh, you need to know... It's not 19th century. It shouldn't no, have airships. No, yeah, okay. no. But it's like, well, it's totally like vaguely steampunky, so but not so in they an turned, way. So uh, uh, Three Musketeers into Final Fantasy as well. Alexander Dumas, had he cons- had he thought of airships, would have put airships in Three Musketeers. Oh, okay. I'm just saying because here's my approach to three musketeers i think it is true to source to make a stupid three musketeers movie because three musketeers is a fun book it's actually really funny and it's just a goofy good time you know and he's riffing on all the expectations of of adventure novels of the day so i think it's totally appropriate to have a stupid three musketeers movies with explosions everywhere and and like all this so it's not high literature no it's never been it's exactly like robin hood it's it's at its best when it's pulp yeah. And that should be the expectations. 
And so, like, everyone's complaining the shit was script, the script was shitty. And again, this is I made think, by the same guy who did, like, the mummy movies and shit, right? Not no, even the mummy, it's by the like, Resident, Resident Evil. Evil movies. So, what's her face? Oh, okay, I was gonna say. Mia Jovovich yeah. has so much fun as the lady, it is great. Is that her character's name? The casting oh, lady? in Lady Winters. Lady okay. Winter, or whatever. No, so the thing I is. I don't know casting, any shit about Three Musketeers. The casting in this movie Other is than- perfect. It is perfect. Because Mia Jovovich is a lot of fun as Lady Winter. Okay. Lady Winter is always kind of this boring, vaguely, like, because she's an intense Lady James Bond. That's basically what it is. Oh, really? okay. And there's always. Even in she's the book? like. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, like, there's this, always been this element of seriousness to her character that they add in the movie because her relationship with one of the Three Musketeers is, like, this very serious, oh, they're, they're angst and everything, and they're romance, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it kind of doesn't work with the rest of the movie. And this is true of any Three Musketeers movie because it's all, otherwise, it's just goofy idiocy and D'Artagnan trying to be a hero. Yeah. And, um, uh, no, but the casting was perfect. So, um, uh, uh, what's his name from Inglorious Bastards? Michael Fassbender? Um, no, 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 no. Um, a Nazi. Oh, dude. bad guy. Bad guy. Uh, dude. What's his name? Christoph Waltz. Christoph yeah, Waltz. Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz plays Cardinal Richelieu. Hans is great. Yeah. He is great. Um, uh, fucking One Eye from Valhalla Rising. Um, the dude from Casino Royale, the villain from Casino Royale, is um, oh skinny dude. Skinny yeah. Dude. Fucking shit. <laughs> I'm so good with names. Rat face. He plays um uh oh man what's the name Rockfort, which is yeah. um, Cardinal Richelieu's is minion. Is that kind of cheese too? Cheese? I thought, it was, I thought it was a kind of cheese. I'm just gonna remember. possibly look at your face. I feel like a slap you for it. Like, well, here's the world of cheeses that I can name: Swiss cheddar, American. We need Lucy Nicely on the podcast. Anyway, yeah, so um, no, he so he's Rockford. <laughs> I love that we're. I love that we're both talking about this. Three Musketeers will but wearing our, our Burger King hats. Anyway, go ahead. So, and it's great because I realize, so in, in Rockford has an eye patch. Yeah. And in Valhalla Rising, he's a fucked up scar on his eye. Oh, and then in, and then in Justine Bond, Royale, he's got, yeah. he's got, and I, it got to the point where my wife and I are like, does he actually have a fucked up eye or is it just so happened that every movie we've seen him in? Yeah. But no, he's great. He's a badass and he's ridiculous and he has a lot of fun. And then the dude that got to play D'Artagnan was great. He looks kind of like a buff Michael Sarah. Whoa. But he was kind of great. Is he, he was, not famous? I maybe. Oh, okay, not I'm famous really enough. Not, that you know who he is. I'm really not super Bob up. I'm really not super up on the 20 year old actors of Hollywood right now. Um, no, and then um, Ray Stevenson was um, uh, one of the three movies. Played Darth Maul. No, he didn't. <laughs> no, he was Titus Polo. I got so that's real. I know Titus Polo. I don't know. I the actor's am name. so in love with that band that yeah. movie only increased my crush on him because he has the most amazing goatee and mustache. Aww. Does, I he, love does him. he have fun stuff to do? Oh, he's his, his characters. He's he's, the big he brute. was the best part of fucking Rome. He's the big brute. Rome, the HBO show we're talking about. He yeah, he's the only good part. Of, I mean, he's one of the best parts of Rome. He's a good brute. No, but and then they got um, what's his name. Luke Evans, he, who was Zeus, I recently saw him in Zeus and the Immortals. He plays the priest musketeer, and then the guy that got to be the the whatever. I can't remember their names. I confuse them. It's Aramis Porthos. You and don't watch him a Francophile. I'm awful fair. at this. I really love the book, but no. Here's the thing. So in the Three Musketeers book, it's been like three or four years since I've read it. They all had these sidekicks that are like kind of comic relief, and they compressed them all into D'Artagnan's sidekick, which worked out great. And it was played by um, the the guy from um, Doctor Who who plays Doctor Who's housemate. When he, when Doctor Who tries to live in the flat, you know, kind of the British, the chubby British. Oh, the bad guy, guy, yeah. Yeah. He got like a baby great. in the last episode yes. he showed of it. Oh, really? He was great. He was so Does wonderful. Does he have like a little roughy, like, like collar? No, he's, he's poor. He's like a, he's just a Oh, minion. that is, I like that guy. He was wonderful. Especially he's famous in the, well, not famous, famous, but he's known in the UK. In America, all we know, he's the fat guy, Doctor Who. Hangs it, out I know, it's awful, him. but he was great. And it's great because he has a British accent. Yeah. And they're like, the, everybody else 
girls have like their accents for the most part, or they're trying to have American yeah. accents. And the best part is oh. there's one part where D'Artagnan, um, the the and they really simplify all the characters must continue. Oh yeah, because it's so, supposed to be stupid adventure. Exactly. Not, yeah. So you just need another rough archetypes, and then off we go. So they make the 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 um, priest character is um, working for the city, and he's giving D'Artagnan's horse a ticket for being parked incorrectly. I swear to God. And he he re- and, and D'Artagnan goes, "What the hell are you doing?" And he's like, "Oh, we know you violated this, this, this." And then D'Artagnan says, "You know, no, say it in plain French." And I and it took me a minute. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there going, "Oh my that god!" Is, that that actually sounds like a funny joke and a funny joke in a movie directed by that guy. And, well, it's I actually kind of liked the script. I thought the script was totally serviceable. Yeah. It was exactly all I needed from the Three Musketeers script. But it's one of those films where you go to see it and there's all these action sequences and all these fight scenes and the stunt choreography is pretty good okay. but the cinematography was so weird and the editing was so weird that you couldn't see anything uh-huh. i felt awful for everyone involved was it like kind of the editing where like people are in a fight and it's so quick cutting you can't even see what the hell's happening yeah and it was like thing? really vi- very visually disassociated war fights and stuff like that you want to actually see the geography exactly. of what people are doing to each other and there were some cool dancing. stunts yeah. going on too it was yeah. really disappointing and the cinematographer was very clearly hired that sounds to like the last james bond movie where you can tell what the hell was going on a little bit it was like not just because the shaking cam because like but the yeah, editing being too energetic and yeah. too off the wall, and yeah, like, and it was it was just really interesting because I think that that movie would have actually mm-hmm. been a totally acceptable film if I, it were edited and shot. Differently. I'm glad to see it's not a totally terrible movie. Oh, I did want to say one more thing about it, and then we can move on because who the hell cares about? Who the hell cares about Three Musketeers that came out two months ago with me? <laughs> but I want to talk about this because I thought the one thing what was my, my two favorite parts of that movie were actually Orlando Bloom, which is weird, and he's not playing like the young guy. So that was the thing. I'm like, um, he that, plays Darton. No, he doesn't. Oh, See, okay. that's the thing. I'm like, it was like, oh, how your fortunes have changed. Like, ten years ago, you would have been D'Artagnan. And now, yeah. instead, he was, um, uh, uh, oh, my God, Buckingham, who was, like, the, the British. Buckingham? That's his name. I love Buckingham. Shut his up. pancakes are the best. No, here's the I thing. I loved him on The Little Rascals. So they totally simplify that character, so he's kind of a villain, but mostly just an, a general antagonist. Okay. This movie really has no villain to speak of. It's kind <laughs> of amazing. They're bad people, but no villain, per se, out and out. But well. anyway, so, but. Well, the extent of his character is that he is a, a uh, like, just that he's just the generic rival. But he has this, like, rockabilly pompadour. And Orlando Bloom has so much fun being this kind of puffed up jackass. Yeah. It was, I've never enjoyed Orlando Bloom so much in a film. He was great. And another thing Aww. about the Three Musketeers okay. films is that um, the, the entire motivation for everything that happens is the King and Queen of France. Because it's basically the king and the queen are both kind of idiots, and it's all this shit that's happening around them, and the three musketeers are trying to navigate the situation. Mm-hmm. And it's never really rung true in most three musketeers films, because the king and the queen are usually the least interesting parts of the films. Yeah. So, you know, they need to be there for motivation, but otherwise, they could not, you, they could be edited out of the film. You could just talk about them, oh, it's the king, it's the queen, and move on for all the presents they have. But the king and the queen were actually kind of great, because they're... <laughs> I don't know who they were, but they're just okay. Kind of, I don't know if it was like special guest stars like Sean Connery. No, because the whole point of the in the books is that they're just kind of a couple of dopey teenagers, and like yeah. the king is an idiot, and the queen barely knows him, and the, all of the scenes with them, and all, like all the scenes with the king and Orlando Bloom, like are just great. And this, I really the have to watch this when it's on Netflix. I'm totally talking it up too much. Watch it with the beer. <laughs> um, that's all I gotta say. Watch what it with the beer. you with? Um, my wife and our friend Brenna. Because our friend Brenna loves me a Jovovich. I was about to say, Bre- yeah, seeing a movie with Brenna just by itself, that, yeah. that'll be a whole, like, a reality warping You know, experience. it's one of those things where if you go in, it's oh, one of those movies yeah. if you go in expecting to have a shitty good time. Yeah, a uh, they, yeah. 
So that was me talking for ten minutes about. Meanwhile, the there's like the the someone who's the any equivalent of the Three Musketeers is shitting herself just watching that movie and seeing exactly. Seething. You're like, what the fuck is this shit? Exactly, yeah, so. exactly. There's someone who is feels like I do about Robin because really that's what I was thinking as I was leaving the movie. If like yeah. if I had this relationship with Robin Hood, it'd be much healthier. Because Three Musketeers, they're, they're, they're entirely just an invention of uh, Alexander Dumas, right? Yeah. It's not like there's like even born of a legend or anything like that. I so don't, they don't even think have, so. Like, well, so I'm there's the even less likely there's going to be lit nerds about uh, Three Musketeers. There's not really much to talk about other than Alexander Dumas wrote the goddamn book. Yeah. Alexander Dumas was a cuddly, adorable man. Were there two books? Was there actually a fourth? Well, okay, this is, my, this is that just what they do with the movies? No, there was a sequel. But the thing is, is that Alexander Dumas transparently had a writing mill. Yeah. Where he just like, it's kind of like Jim Davis where he shows up in the office and goes, <laughs> hey kid, draw this. And yeah. it happens. It was kind of like it with Alexander Dumas. So like, there are a lot of books that are accredited to Alexander Dumas that were not oh, written really? by okay. Alexander. I have a book at home that's Alexander Dumas' Robin Hood. It is not Alexander Dumas' Robin Hood. I've not read it. Really. Oh, Robin Hood shows up in Hugo for two seconds. Does he? A copy of Robin Hood is a little bit, tiny little bit of a plot point. Aww. Anyway. So, Bill, Bill, you went to go see Hugo. I went, oh, this weekend was my birthday. I was so proud because I did not tweet about it once or anything like that. Because some people were like, it's my birthday. Oh, P.S. Like, Tuesday's my birthday. I wonder whatever anyone will do for You know, they'll drop hints. And I was like, fuck yeah. it. I'm just going to go movies. I'm going to get the fuck away from the internet. Yeah, so uh, my, uh, historically, my uh, thing I do on my birthday is I go to the movies usually by myself. Because mm-hmm. I usually go to such fucking weird movies. Yeah. Or weird combination of movies. Because yeah. I'll spend the whole day at the theater that no one else wants to go. Or, granted, I also do freelance. So, you know. Yeah know everyone else is at work. So I went to go see Hugo and the Muppets. Yeah. Uh, Hugo. Man, Hugo is the shit. I had not heard of Hugo until just like two weeks ago when I heard Mm -hmm. everyone on on Twitter and... uh, on the internet's flipping out about it. Yeah. And I had no idea. It's it's a Martin Scorsese... I'm sure other, everyone else seems to have heard of it. I was the last person not to hear of it. It's a Martin Scorsese kids movie in yeah. 3D, which sounds like a recipe for bullshit. <laughs> Martin Scorsese has it within him to re- make some terrible, terrible fucking movies. movies. Yeah. What was the last movie you made? Was it Shutter Island? Yeah. That was a piece of shit. That was not <laughs> just like, oh, mm. no, Scorsese missing... The mark there. That was him, like, making a fucking bat. That was one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, no, Hugo is fi- fi- uh, fucking fantastic. It's based, uh, I didn't realize this, it's based off of a kid's book called The Invention of Hugo Cabaret. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dylan told me about it. Uh, it's a kid's book, but it's so richly illustrated. It's practically a comic book mm-hmm. or a graphic novel or whatever the fuck you want to call it. I, it's the way it's printed is beautiful. I'd I just... want to get a copy. You can, get, you can get a copy from Amazon for, like, ten bucks. It's, like, super cheap. It's huge, but it's super cheap. Yeah. I want to grab it. Uh, but, Hugh, yeah, Hugo, I don't want to spoil it too much, uh, just because I enjoyed it so much because I had no no idea what the story was about. Yeah. I went, after I saw the movie, I saw the trailer, and I was like, man, the trailer gives away half the fucking movie. Yeah. Uh, but the trailer, uh, the movie is about this kid named Hugo who lives in the, like, late 1920s uh, Paris train station. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, uh, he's got this automaton mm-hmm. uh, that was uh, given to him by his father that he's trying to repair. Uh, he, he's... He's living in this uh, train station. He's also repairing and winding all the clocks in the train station. Mm-hmm. And no one knows that. He just kind of, that's his job that he's kind of given to himself. Mm-hmm. And he's using the, the bits and pieces and the parts from the uh, from the clockwork to kind of like try to repair this uh, 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 like old automaton that he's got. Mm-hmm. And uh, he ends up meeting this girl with this really big face. <laughs> <laughs> it's the chick from, what's the movie with the superheroes? That one. Just <laughs> uh, keep on going, Bill. <laughs> Kick-Ass. It's got okay. Hit Girl from Kick-Ass. I've never seen okay. it, but I, I remember like, everyone was like, oh my god, Hit Girl from Kick-Ass, it's so cool! God, we're She's... the worst people to talk about movies. <laughs> I know. Oh my god. So anyway, Hit Girl's in this movie. She she got a big face. Her face too old for her body. She's like, it's great because Hugo, the kid, the kid who's playing Hugo Cabaret, he's like firmly like 10 years old. Yeah. Uh, 
whoever plays Hit Girl, she's like that weird stage where she's like too tall. She's like a foot and a half taller than him. Oh, there's this great scene in the movie where the only kind of action scene, kind of like danger, where, uh, like part where any of the characters are in danger, is a scene where she gets almost trampled by uh, foot traffic at the train station. Yeah. Which comes out of nowhere, but she almost gets trampled because she's a girl. That seems to be only the only reason. Like, it just it comes out of nowhere. It becomes part of the plot where... She's trampled, and the kid has to save her. The boy has to save her. But the boy's only, like... The boy's, like, like two feet shorter and, like, 30 pounds smaller than he is. If anyone's gonna get trampled <laughs> in that situation, it's gonna be him and her saving him. It's just funny that happened. But anyway, so, uh, the movie's beautiful. Uh, there's all this stuff about George Melies, mm-hmm. uh, who was the, uh, probably the biggest, uh, filmmaker since the Lumiere brothers kind of mm-hmm. invented motion pictures. In the 1800s, late 1800s, uh, he was the guy who did a Voyage to the Moon. Oh yeah, and all that, all that's all those silent film fantasy movies, and uh, a lot of the plot kind of revolves around him and his films. And really, there's actually some great flashbacks where you see him actually making some of those films huh. and just the recreation of like how he did that. It's almost very much like the Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Yeah, the the, the playhouse scenes where you kind of get to see how. Uh, like, the theatricality of all that stuff is very, very cool to see. Yeah. Except, you know, this is for silent films and, and not, like, a 17th or 18th century uh, playhouse like in Baron Munchausen. But it's just, it, it's it's really be- beautiful. Uh, it's in 3D. This is the only movie I've ever seen where I would recommend that people actually go out to the theaters, see it in 3D. Yeah. Because it's, uh, it's obviously, all the, all the shots and everything in the movie are very much composed for 3D. Yeah. In a way that aren't, isn't going to translate very well to 2D. Oh, really? A little bit like in that way that, like, if you're home watching, like, Friday the 13th, whatever, Friday the 13th movies in 3D, you might be, like, flipping the channels on home and watching on, uh, shit on TBS and you happen across a Friday the 13th movie, and you see that Jason, for some reason, stabbing <laughs> the camera a whole lot, and you're like, yeah. I think this must have been a 3D movie. <laughs> it's kind of that thing where, like, arbitrarily, like, people's feet are, like, really close to the camera and stuff like that, but it's not just... Uh, the, the 3D in the movie is actually... It's, it's, it's really robust. It's not just that, like some odd, random thing will be popping out of the screen, but there's also a lot of depth in the background. And I love I love 3D for depth. I yeah, that's exactly. Really what it's it, best it, used for. Uh, Scorsese makes, the, uh, makes a lot out of all the different planes of, of 3D in a mm-hmm. shot. And especially a lot of the movie takes place in small rooms. Huh. And yeah. it takes place in this big train station, which really gives them a chance to show off the 3D because it's a big, vast train station with tons yeah. of people, lots of depth there. But, like, at least half the movie takes place in either the small French apartment or uh, Hugo's little shitty apartment on top of the train station where... Uh, you don't get to see much, but like, like uh, even if there's just a small window in the background, they 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 the the depth of field in the window is still in play, and like the stars mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So even if that that's in the distant foreground, like the stars outside of the window, and it not even focus or anything like that, there's still enough depth that you really feel that that's like an actual outside world out there. Even though mm-hmm. I'm sure all the stars and everything are all CG and stuff. Yeah. And uh, one thing that also makes this really cool is the fact that like uh, people have been saying this is the best 3D film since Avatar. Mm-hmm. Avatar was interesting, but it was almost entirely computer generated. Yeah. With Hugo, it's more. I'm sure a lot. Of, like, anytime anyone steps outside of the train station, it's obviously all CG. It's a CG recreation of Paris from almost 100 years ago. Yeah. And I'm sure half of the uh, interiors of the train station itself are all CG. And the clockwork and stuff is all CG. But there's still enough human. Uh, a live action stuff that it just feels a little more grittier and it's just makes better use of 3d just just seeing real things mm-hmm. like you'll see like little bits of uh fluff floating through the air and stuff like that just that's mm-hmm. nice in 3d it does that that doesn't sound interesting but in 3d yeah when the shots are already composed for 3d and stuff like that just like little details organic details that would happen yes. in a normal movie suddenly look a lot more interesting well martin scorsese is a very deliberate <clears throat> filmmaker he's a fucking crazy 
like, motherfucker. Yeah, I mean, he feels strongly about this shit. Yeah. And that's what was kind of interested me when I heard he was going to do a 3D film, because he's not the sort of person who's going to treat that halfway. Yeah. Like, and, he's going to make it for 3D. And I don't know if it was Scorsese or his, like, 3D technical directors or what, but, like, sometimes he'll exaggerate 3D just for, like, I hate to say storytelling effect, but just kind of, like, visual effect in mm-hmm. interesting ways. Like, there's a scene where uh, the characters are examining this uh, this wardrobe for, like, yeah. a hidden compartment. And uh, they they look up up on top of the wardrobe and they realize there's there's a a false uh, panel on the wardrobe. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, just unhinged just a little bit that you can kind of see into, like, you see there's an empty space behind this false front. And they exaggerate the the, the space behind this false front just enough that it really looks like this cavernous space behind it. Yeah. And really in real life would only be, like, Like the space. Yeah, Yeah, it's like the size of a bread box. But that one just brief moment, like, it's really appealing. It's like, what the hell's in there? And Because they exaggerate, like, sense of uh, depth inside that space. And you only see a little sliver of it. Yeah. Just very cool. Yeah. And uh, with uh, uh, Hugo living in a clock in a, in a clockwork world, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because he's actually living among all the clockwork stuff at the train station. Lots of gears and shit, like yeah. lots of things flying at the camera. So it's very cool. I would, yeah, definitely recommend people go see it. Uh, the story itself is not that like totally amazing. The writing isn't that great, but it's visually it's fantastic and it's not bad. Dramatically, it's 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 fulfilling. It's 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 good. But like, I don't want to overtalk it too much because, like I said, a lot of uh, the reason I liked it so much is because I just went in there not knowing what the hell it was, and I was just really impressed with how pretty it was and how well the three D worked for it. I'll wait until I can watch it with a beer and a pizza. <laughs> Only a three D. See the Roseway or something like that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But yeah, no, that was good. That's the three D awesome. Did you go see Hugo first and then the Muppets or vice versa? Hugo first, thank God. Oh, man. I was gonna say I would have been in a bitter fucking mood if it was the Muppets first. <sighs> uh, and I saw the Muppets. <laughs> Fuck the Muppets. <laughs> I am totally in the minority here. I did not. Well, I shouldn't say fuck the Muppets because it's not necessarily a bad movie. It's just not a Muppet movie. Yeah. It's, the movie should not be called The Muppets. It should be called, hey, remember how cool the Muppets are. (laughs) Remember this? Yeah, yeah, remember this. this. Remember this. Um, it really is so much, uh, Jason Siegel, doesn't help that Jason Siegel, he looks like, he looks like the face that I think I'm making when I'm ever, I'm like, I'm talking to a pretty girl and fucking up. (laughs) He's just so weirdly, like, blank-faced and liver-lipped and like, (sighs) and the main character is just, uh, Muppet called Walter. Again, I already freaked out about this fact. He's a little human Muppet. And he has no personality. His big thing is he just likes the Muppets a whole lot. Just like everybody in the audience who paid $10 for a ticket to go see this fucking Muppet yeah. movie. And uh, it's it's a fucking... I don't want to spoil it because you haven't seen it. Brenda hasn't seen it. I wanna, we're actually going to do another Muppet show after you and Brenda see it. You guys are going to come on. We're going to talk more about the Muppets because our friend Brenda, she's the goddamn Muppet expert of mm-hmm. the whole fucking world. I'm curious to see what her opinion about this is. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's not necessarily a bad movie, but like I said, it's 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 a huge piece of fan fiction. Hmm. Like, yeah. it's 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 not terrible, but it really is just so much, hey, we like the Muppets. Yeah. And I can totally see why uh, Frank Oz did not sign off on this movie. He's not involved. He's the guy, you know. He's yeah. Jim Henson's right-hand man, literally and figuratively. And, uh, yeah, he's, he had written the script, and he just, yeah, he did not want to be involved because he just didn't think, like, just emotionally just wasn't quite hitting the right notes that a Muppet movie should. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I can totally see that. There's there's even, like, weird things like, this is the first Muppet movie to call out the difference between humans and Muppets. Yeah. Because in uh, previous Muppet movies, if anyone uh, freaked out on a Muppet, it wasn't because they were a Muppet. It was because they were a pig or a frog yeah, exactly. or a bear. Yeah, like, you know, there's a bear in my office. There's a, there's a talking pig. What the hell is this? It's never, oh, it's a hand puppet in my office. What's right. going on? There's actually a whole musical sequence where called Am I a Man or Am I a Muppet? 
and where like you get to see like the the man version of the little Walter guy. That would be disturbing. And then you get to see a Muppet version of Jason Siegel, and they were so kind to him. <laughs> Instead of giving him big, sad, livery lips, they just kind of make him look like Muppet Ben Affleck. <laughs> um, and it's like I said, it's not terrible. It's just kind of like you get to see Chris Cooper. Uh, Is Chris he, Cooper any good? Because I love Chris he Cooper. Really? He, 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 I laugh my ass off. It, you know, Chris Cooper's great because he's just like, I'm evil. I'm from Texas, which makes me evil. He was great, actually. Um, this is, this There's is a proud terrible. history of good actors chewing but, the scenery as the villain. In yeah, I know. You got, you're the villain in a bubble movie. You got a free fucking ticket to ride. <laughs> um, but, like, like, the big thing is, like, like Fozzie, you know what his big joke in the movie is? Fart shoes. Is it? That really is kind of it. He tells a couple mm. of lame jokes, but that's his kind of, like, and they keep on, like, they kind of bring it back once or twice, too. Mm. And, like, Gonzo, he only gets one joke in the whole goddamn movie. Grant is great. <laughs> There's, but, I think there's a risk whenever you have anyone, like, whenever you have any sort of revamp of any property, there are three ways that it can go. They can get it right, yeah. which hasn't happened very often. Um, they can be so devoted to it that it becomes fanficy, Yeah. And then, or they could just kind of sh- just go, oh, well, this is just for reaction value, and they strip it of everything that it is, except for, like, the surface elements. Yeah. Like, those are, like, especially this now that we are in the era, yeah, now we are in the era of reboots. But you don't really, you see a lot of number three, barely any number one, not very much number two, really. Yeah. It's mostly number three. But, yeah, like I said, yeah, but it's like, the, yeah, the fact that the movie spent so much time on Walter and so much... The, the other Muppets, other than uh, Kermit and Miss Piggy, just barely get any play. I mean, you get Lou Zealand. Lou Zealand is my favorite Muppet. He gets a line. Scooter! To you get to find out what Scooter's been doing since the last time the Muppets get together. You're like, oh yeah, that makes sense for Scooter. <laughs> um, it's not bad. It's just not... And I feel bad because 95% of people have seen this movie and they're like, oh yeah, that was fucking awesome. And I'm great. For for not crazy people, yeah, that movie is awesome. Only crazy people are going to go to the Muppet movie and start steaming like, "There's not enough Gonzo in this film. What is this Walter motherfucker?" And so we'll we'll, we'll go into depth about that's, that. Later to be fair, on, that's but... been a, in a lot of Muppet. Like, granted, I've not partaken of much Muppet media over the last ten years. Yeah, like, who the has? last the last time I have really like totally du- dipped myself into Muppethood was with the the you know like the Muppet. Treasure Island. Yeah. But, like, it seems like with Muppets Tonight, they did this, and, like, there's this need to bring in fresh characters. Yeah. Which I just kind of wish they did, rather than realize... Well, that's what Walter is. But he's not really, he's not a character. You see that movie, he is not... He, there's nothing to Walter. All the Muppet characters have some kind of shtick or something. Walter's Why make just, a Muppet movie Walter's that's not thing, about the Muppets, Walter though, thing is so thing. much, he loves the Muppets. Yeah. That is... It's like if I said, you know what? I love Star Wars. I'm gonna go to George Lucas and say, George, I... Please let me make three more Star Wars movies. Instead of making three more Star Wars movies, I make a movie about how Bill Mudrin is now a character in the Star Wars universe who really loves Han Solo <laughs> and just hunts Han Solo down and sings about Han Solo. That's not a Star Wars movie. That is a fucking live journal post with a hundred million dollar budget. That's what this Muppet movie is. So anyway, so it's not bad. Like I said, you just have to be crazy to hate it. I'm sorry your but you'll have to see it. little Muppet cloud got was a rain cloud. Yeah. They do see Rainbow Connection. Do they? Yeah, it's nice. But then again, it's like, you know, this is the first five Memodis? seconds. Yeah, I know. But it's still, it's like, yeah, this is the first five minutes of the first Muppet movie. We already saw this. You're like, it's a little... And the songs aren't that entertaining. Yeah. Amy Adams, she's okay. It's just, I don't know. Anyway, so what else been going on with you? Man, what happened? You hated the Muppet movie and I loved the Three Musketeers. Yeah, world's gone crazy. 
oh man, we're gonna see Mission Impossible and shit ourselves and just commit <laughs> Harry Carey. Um, I the only uh, other movie I watched this week, I rewatched White Christmas. Oh, you're talking about White Christmas this is, is our, this one is of my. Cast. This is White Christmas is one of my favorite movies. Period. I yeah. thought I th- I've realized now beyond being a really good movie musical. Explain to people what White Christmas is because uh, yeah. you had to explain it to me what it is, and it's racist. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's one racist segment. <laughs> in it. But what that one racist part is so phenomenal. Yeah. Well, what it the makes fuck? sense if you know about Irving Berlin's life at all. So White Christmas <laughs> was in 19. 19- no, seriously. Water? No, it'll, I'll tell you in a second. White Christmas is a 1954 film. Oh, it's 1954. I thought yeah. it was earlier than that. Well, see, every it's easy to assume that because World War II is a huge part of this film. Which, uh, to be fair, what is this movie about? Um, uh, uh, Christmas, uh, romance, and um, soldiers trying to build their lives back together after World War II. That of course, great. it's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's fantastic. You just, yeah, you just need to get the darky list version, oh, special edition. Oh, Bill, let me. I'll get oh, to it in a second. That's bad. I'll get to it in a second. Oh my second. god! So no, White Christmas is a 1954 film where it's um, Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye are old war buddies from World War II, and they after World War II they get an act like a musical act, and they've taken the world by storm, and Danny they're a huge, huge deal. Yeah, and. Uh, so uh, they um, they're about to go on hi- hiatus for Christmas, and um, they go to see an act, and it's these two women, Rosemary Clooney, and, and who I love, and is so great in that, Aww. and Vera Ellen, and um, wackiness ensues, and uh, what and the romance ensues, but um, they're they take the wrong train, and they get diverted to Vermont, and in Vermont they find they go to this inn. And uh, where the girls had been booked for an act. And it turns out that the owner of this inn, which is totally on hard times, was their general in World War II. And he has staked everything in this place, and it's falling apart around him. Yeah. And he tries to re-enlist in the army, and they won't have him. And his life is just falling apart. So they, they throw on this big show to bring, to bring business to his um, farm. That's pretty much it. That's all Didn't that happens. Did you and I watch part of this last year? Possibly. It's one of my favorite Christmas films. Because I think I legally downloaded this at some point last year. <laughs> I bought it on DVD. It's on color? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, hope, I have to look and see if it's on Blu-ray because the, day, the transfer on my DVD was bad. But! It's great. Well, here's the thing, though. It's a musical. <laughs> And a lot of the, a lot of this music, it's, it's totally a, cause it's a, one of the, it's not a musical where they sing about their feelings for if the most part. Irving Berlin were a person in a restaurant, it would say, I'm not racist. Look over both shoulders and <laughs> but. say, but. Yeah. Well, I'll get to that in a second. So it's a, it's a movie about musicians. Yeah. So whenever there's a musical number, you though it can. We watch part of this last yeah. year. Cause this is all straight. Yeah. It, it, though the music that they sing reson- may resonate with characters in the moments. For the most part, they're like, we're going to stop and sing a song. And it all works. It's, there are a couple of numbers in the show where it's like, they're ju- in the movie, they're just practicing for the show. Yeah. The whole movie just stops, and they're doing a performance. Like, well, that's one... musicals. What are you going to do? Well, it's, it, yeah. n- not really. No, most musicals don't. Not do all this. musicals. There's like, like an era is... of movie musical that did it a lot, because mostly it was to show off a dance or a set or something like that. Yeah. And they do this and this. There's a really great s- sequen- uh, act called Choreography. Where Danny Kaye is doing this dance with all these dancers. Danny Kaye's the guy saying bunga bunga bunga, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. in, in, from Fallout 3. That's correct, Bill. <laughs> people who play Fallout 3 know what I'm talking about. I'm asking that bunga bunga bunga. No, so he, he has this whole scene that's totally dismissive of modern dance. Where he's saying, like, tap dancers who used to tap don't tap anymore. They do choreography. Oh, that's it's cool. like it's all choreography. I need to watch the rest of this. It's with great, you. but yes, there is another part I of this promise movie. Promise to shut up about the Mr. Bill. <laughs> There's Mudder. another part of the movie where they do perform a song and dance. That's like, God damn, do I miss minstrel shows? <laughs> that is literally <laughs> the sequence. Wait, no, wait, no. I'm thinking of Holiday Inn. Doesn't wait? Is Holiday Inn the one with uh, Lincoln set the darkies free? 
Possibly. I think there's, so. There's a musical number out there. <laughs> I think Holiday may be either a remake of White Christmas or White R- Christmas is a remake of Holiday Inn. No, they're unrelated. But they're kind so of... There's something... Someone's yeah. singing about Abraham Lincoln for some reason, and he gets fucking, like, holy shit, uh, time traveling through the space uh, of time at end of 2001 fucked up races. <laughs> where you're just like, I can't believe this is the thing that existed in the last Well, the thing, years. what's fascinating about the minstrel show number in, in White Christmas... Well, yeah, what's the minstrel show? Is yeah. that it's weirdly... Because, you know, at a certain is point... Is it just like it... They're not in blackface per se, but they have red-handed gloves... No, it's enough. You know it's, what they're talking about. It's racist enough. Yeah, it's just wink, wink, we're and they're racist. all singing about like minstrel shows. Man, so you never saw Mad Men. There's one. Uh, oh, anyway, I can talk about that. But no, it's interesting because so Irving Berlin. I read a really interesting biography of Irving Berlin, who, by the way, was a sad sack motherfucker. Yeah. Um, Irving Irving Berlin got his start by um, writing music that was because uh, there's a really popular genre of music and I apologize the name for it escapes me but it's basically like language music where you're like you're, you're, the character who is singing the song is an immigrant to America that and, and um, so it's like you'll have a Russian character who speaks in broken Russian or a Jewish character who okay. speaks in, speaks in like Yiddish all the time and like but it's very much so making fun of those people and that was how oh, Irving Jesus. yeah and that was how Jesus Irving Christ. that's how Irving Berlin got his start and it's fascinating when you read about Irving Berlin he was kind of stuck in this old timey vaudeville old world kind of music his entire life no. like he wrote some great music but he was very much so stuck in time and uh, it's so I can totally he is exactly the sort of person who goes man minstrel shows I love minstrel shows I'm gonna write a song about it uh, boom let's put it in this movie it's 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 and it's a bad song too which makes it even more offensive uh, there's a great scene in Mad Men where uh, someone goes to a uh, pre-wedding party and there's a minstrel show at the wedding party and uh, everyone no one cares about it except for two of the characters who are like what the fuck is this shit and they kind of get the hell out of there it just makes me think of that which but. makes sense because I think at that era minstrel shows they weren't on stage like you wouldn't go see a minstrel show anymore exactly but it was like happens. Uh, like in high People still have fond memories of minstrel they shows. They do them in, like, home older, as, like, yeah. a, like, a, yeah. This is exactly what happened to that it's episode. Weird. Um, it's weird and racist. Yeah. yeah, during the whole sequence, Foley just turns to me and goes, explain to me, so we don't have to watch this, what a minstrel show is, because <laughs> I don't really know. And no, so, it's, so it's anyway. Kind of fascinating. Yeah, I think I am confusing White Christmas with, uh, with Holiday maybe Holiday Inn, because, yeah. Everyone Holiday does. Because Holiday Inn, it's a musical about different holidays, because the idea, it's, yeah. it's a hotel where, like, I think it, it has same holidays. because this is about and Christmas, so, and it's at a hotel. There's one about Lincoln's birthday, and the whole thing is, like, Lincoln set the darkies free. <laughs> You're like, take the darkies free, Lincoln! And it's all, yeah. it's really, okay, that's what I, oh, okay, I got confused. This is the, it's only a little bit racist yeah but no it's kind of interesting to have seen that right after three musketeers because it's another movie where it the reason why it is super successful beyond the fact that bing crosby and, and rosemary Clooney and danny Kaye and even vera ellen are very charismatic and you want to see them watch them on the film the the whole movie is based around the motivation of this general and the guy who plays the general is amazing he's yeah. so great like you just want to give him the shirt off your back he's such a decent good-humored man like oh. he's just fantastic and it totally makes that movie work better than it would otherwise. The Muppets is slightly racist. <laughs> there's uh, there, there's there's a renegade band of Muppets called the Muppets, which are evil Muppets. Uh-huh. Essentially the black Muppets. <laughs> there's, like, the Muppet Ralph is all blinged out. It is kind of like, yeah, these are the ghetto Muppets. Oh, no, I've seen them in the trailers. Those are... I'm kind of surprised I haven't heard anyone go... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm. Uh, yeah, anyway. Um, see, at least I can... I am not racist, but I was born in such a crib of awful racism in in what trash Pittsburgh. 
that at least I understand racism when I see one. I'm like, you know, that smells a little That's... racisty to me. Um, anyway, That's a little bit of racism. So Everyone go see week? White Christmas. Yeah, well, go, say. See, White Christmas go see it at the theater near you. <laughs> Run out right Get now. Get your fucking time, time machine DeLorean. No, White Christmas really is great. And the sequence, there's a sequence where they're all in a train car and they're singing about snow. Yeah. And it's one of my favorite moments in movie history. I love We're it. To watch it's great. It. White Christmas well, is great. Gotcha. Are we ready to talk about comic books? No, I got my whole list! We spent the whole time talking about Robin... Wait, what did we just talk about? Three Musketeers. Okay, I got a couple things. Uh, Mario Kart 7. My review is is it's installed in the UPS truck. <laughs> I was hoping it would have arrived by now. It hasn't. Uh, I'm sorry. Do you, do you want some french fries? Yes. Yeah, hell. There's two things of french fries on there. Have as much as you want. There's two burgers in there, too. Um, okay, I've been playing the shit out of Saints Row 3 all week. Uh, that game is amazing. I should probably talk about it later, because we're already like, running long for this podcast. Also, next week will be our Game of the Year podcast, yeah. we'll be talking a lot about games. But Saints Row uh, 3 is... So much batshit crazy shit has happened to me in that game, it's hard to even sit down and, and, and talk about anything specifically. But yeah, Saints Row 3 is definitely worth... If you can tolerate playing yet another uh, sandbox crime game, pick that up. I can't imagine uh, GTA 5 being any better than this. Um, little piece of news, Stephen Moffat... He uh, made it clear that any uh, Doctor Who movie being made will be made by the BBC television crew and not oh, yeah? by some schmucks in Hollywood. <laughs> he, he really went on the offensive against it. Because, what, David Yates, the guy who directed the last couple of Harry Potter movies, yeah. he came and said, I'm going to direct the Doctor Who movie and it's going to stop my Doctor Who. It's going to be reboot. And Steve Moffat said, nope, fuck that shit. Uh, I thought it was interesting. It's not like an Americanized reboot of Doctor Who has worked out well in the past. I know, exactly. Uh, did you see the, uh, they actually put out the opening for the Legend of Korra show? Yeah, I watched it. It's that great. looks badass. That's going to be fantastic. Everyone who has not seen Avatar, I'm talking with my mouth full. Everyone who has not seen Avatar, uh, The Last Airbender, uh, needs to see it before this Legend of Korra show comes out. Avatar, The Last Airbender, the, the TV show we're, of course, discussing, yeah. um, is one of those rare things that lives up to and exceeds any amount of hype that you've heard. It is one of the best animated uh, shows ever. It's one of the... I would say qualified as one of the best shows ever. It's right up there. It's, it's essentially like... It's right up there with, like, Miyazaki movies, mm-hmm. Studio Ghibli movies, in terms of, like, quality and... and it's such a nicely and humanity contained and, yeah, yeah. It, and it's also, yeah, it with well-written, great characters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, great but animation. Yeah, so the sequel series, The Legend of Korra, which takes place 70 years after the end of the, the uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, is mm-hmm. a debuting sometime next year, and they just put out, yeah... Uh, there's been a couple trailers, but then they put out the opening. Man, and it's interesting because this show will feature slightly older characters. Mm-hmm. And in Avatar The Last Airbender, the main character, Aang, was only like 12. Yeah. This one features like an 18-year-old girl who mm-hmm. already seems, seems to know most of her kung fu shit. And it looks cool. It, it's, it's definitely got more of a cowboy bebop, more adult anime vibe than the mm-hmm. old show. So it should be interesting. Um, I've been watching Community, finally. I got yeah. Community on DVD. Uh, only, I'm only half a dozen episodes in. It's cute. I'm not quite seeing why everyone's shitting a brick about it, but then again, also, a lot of people have told me on Twitter that you have to get past the first half a dozen episodes and then it starts getting good. Yeah. It's not bad, but man, holy shit, who's the black guy that was trying to become Spider-Man? Donald... He's the guy from Community. He mm-hmm. is fucking hilarious. He should have been Spider-Man. I'm sure Andrew Garfield's gonna do a great job, but no, he is He is one of the best... He is fucking hilarious. He's right out there with, uh, who's the guy from uh, Scrubs, Donald Faison? No. Oh, yeah. Man, Donald Those two guys, they should get the Black Donald duo show. <laughs> Not a minstrel show. <laughs> I guess they will keep on. They should go on a tour together. They, those guys are fucking hilarious. Yeah, you. I think you would actually have a crush on this guy. Because if you had a crush on Donald Faison, you'd totally have a crush on this guy. He's funny. Also, Allison Brie is hot. And yeah. while I was not uh, thinking that her, What's-Her-Face was hot, 
blonde cheeky with ski slope nose. <laughs> She's growing on me the more neurotic she gets. Uh, what else happened? And... Oh, I finished a, a Stephen King's latest book, 112263. How was it? I don't. I only want to bring it up because it was okay. Yeah. The whole book was, it was over long. It really is, most of the book is talking about how terrible the Dallas-Fort Worth area is. <laughs> is it? Yeah. This it's, is, of course, my hometown. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, because it's all about a guy who time travels back in time and, and has to stop the Kennedy assassination. Granted, he, like, at least the book di- uh, differentiates between Dallas and Fort Worth. That's it's actually good. mentioned a couple times how, like... There's three cities that he lives in. He lives in Dallas, he lives in mm-hmm. Fort Worth, and he mm-hmm. lives in this old town called Jody, like right outside of Dallas, Fort Worth. Yeah. And he talks about, uh, Stephen King talks about how great Jody is, how eh, Fort Worth is, and what oh. a steaming shithole Dallas is. <laughs> really, so much of the book, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's just humorous about how to, like, I can't imagine if you're part of the city council in Dallas right now, mm-hmm. and you're hearing about this book going, thanks a lot, Stephen King. <laughs> Dallas of 50 years ago. Yeah. But, uh, to be yeah. fair, so people who do not are not from Dallas-Fort Worth will know this. Um, uh, if you live in Fort Worth, you hate Dallas people. Oh, is that how it goes? Dallas is kind of uh, the soulless corporate big brother of Fort Worth, whereas Fort okay. Worth is kind of has a small town vibe and is kind of charming and is very arts-based and food-based. It's kind of like Portland, Seattle, only if they were right next door to each yeah. other. And Seattle isn't shitty. Have you ever gone to Mercedes Street in Fort Worth? Probably. Where's Mercedes Street? Here's my story about Fort Worth. (laughs) Fort Worth is called Panther City and has been called for 75 years because according to legend, things are so boring in Fort Worth (laughs) that a panther was able to fall asleep in the middle of Main Street all day and go undisturbed. This story is something they named the town after, and in downtown Fort Worth, there are all sorts of panthers, like, as gargoyles and shit. To be fair, President has never been murdered in (laughs) Fort Worth. Um, so, yeah, I finished that off. I just thought you would be amused by how terrible it is. Oh, it's very cute, too, because the audiobook version, I was flipping back and forth between the audiobook and the and the Kindle version, mm-hmm. uh, and the guy who does the uh, audiobook version, he does a lot of, you know, Texas accents and stuff like that. And he's yeah. actually pretty convincing. I'm like, oh, he sounds like my grandma. And yeah. he's doing a lot of, like, like a lot a lot of the main characters are uh, Texas females. And they're like, yeah. hey, well, hey, honey, what are you doing? It's, <laughs> like, hilarious to hear. See, them. if I listen to that, though, by the end of it, I'll just get my drawback and I'll start yeah, exactly, yeah. Too. Because, boy, howdy, I just talked to somebody for about five no, minutes man, and it starts coming wanna, out. Like, go back visit Texas because I was no. born in El Paso. No. Dude, El Paso. No. You want to talk about festering stink? I want to go back and reenact Breaking Bad in El Paso. <laughs> okay, one last thing. Uh, no one cares, especially none of us, because we all hate her. But what Emily Carroll. Oh, yeah, she got a book deal. She got a book deal. Good with Simon Emily and Carol. Schuster. Yeah. Emily Carroll. It's good because she is uh, paraplegi- paraplegic. She needs the money. <laughs> she draws with her teeth. It's it's. They're gonna make a movie out of it. With, I'm so happy. Who's Sandra Bernhard? No, not Sandra <laughs> Bernhard. Sandra Bullock. They're gonna make a movie about how she helps uh, Emily Carroll draw her comics. Ooh. It's gonna be heartwarming. So, Bill, and that's changed. I'm they're, very excited for Emily Carroll. It's awesome and badass. And if you've not experienced her comics, internet people, um, Google his face already. Good shit. The name of the book that she's coming out with is coincidentally called. His face all red, and <laughs> yeah. other stories. Yeah. It's good shit. That's by Emily Carroll. We like her. <laughs> so no, I, I'm thinking about this now. Emily you said Carroll. about movies. Yeah. Um. Who? Hey. What would be your perfect Muppet movie, Bill? Like seriously. Meet the Feebles. 
God. Have you okay, seen this? No, we're, ta- we're going to talk about comics now. I'm no, just what, what do you mean? What's my perfect Muppet movie? What's your perfect Muppet movie? You just make another Muppet movie. <laughs> Granny, you need a time machine. Go back. Change Jim Henson. <laughs> Bring back Jerry Jewell. So um, basically, your perfect Muppet movie is going back in time and making Jim Henson go to a doctor. Kind of the people made Jim Henson, the Muppets, they're kind of gone. Not to say you can't keep us. So no this one is, can no, be this the, the weird thing with the Muppets is that like you think with the Muppets because they're just puppets and all you have to do is replace the staff who does the oh, Muppets. No. You think it'd be easy to just keep on tracking with new cast? Aside from the voice, aside from this, the fact that you've got that wrong sounding Muppet thing, it's still like the, some of the performances aren't quite right. Whoever's doing Fozzie, there's either a problem with how the the performers uh, performing Fozzie, or it's something wrong with the way the puppets uh, was constructed in the eyes and that. Fozzie does not meet a lot of the other Muppets or humans' sightlines often. Mm. First time ever watching a Muppet movie, I've ever, like, looking at a Muppet, realized, oh my God, like, it's a that's, puppet. that's a puppet. I'm oh, not, that's bad. That, it just, it's, it doesn't happen a lot, but there's a couple times when they're like, yeah, Fozzie will be talking to somebody's sightlines go, going right over their head or something like oh. that. And I'm just like, I don't think that's something, like, the original Muppet crew. I'm sure that happens sometimes. You know, you're making a movie, you're going to well, have bad Well, when you think about Fozzie, like he kind of has, like, a little kind of a stooped, yeah. like, body language. So and it's just little subtle things like that where I'm like, maybe they might be better off just maybe, like, passing it off to another Muppet generation. Or, like, you know, you have Muppets, the next generation, or something like that. Yeah. Or you uh, have a whole new bunch of people and you create some new characters. Not to say you would, uh, this movie would have to not have Kermit and stuff like that. But, like, let... let you know, who's whoever working at the Jim Henson Creature Shop actually come up with their own Muppets and, you know, kind of grow the So basically the world you want Tiny Toons, but with the Muppets. Yes. <laughs> I want uh, Montana Max with a hole in his butt wow. with a man in it. of all the characters to remember? <laughs> Someone on Twitter the other day was like, Montana Max! And I was like, that's a I Muppet. think I forgot his name. Oh. Wow. All right. I've never seen that show. <laughs> okay. All I know. That's for the best. Uh, so, right. yeah, so, like, like uh, I don't think you could make a really good Muppet movie starring the original cast right now that would actually and like Jim Henson, his mix of sincerity mm-hmm. and stupidity mm-hmm. and funniness was so specific that yeah. I think it's really hard for anyone else to necessarily totally. replicate that, replicate that without falling back on the old jokes. Yeah. Man, I was watching again. I was watching more making of old Muppet stuff, and I was watching the the original pitch that Jim Henson made to the children's television work the children's television workshop to get Sesame Street off the ground. Yeah. And uh, I think I told you about this before, but uh, it's this pitch where it's Ralph and Kermit talking about, hey, we're the Muppets, and we're going to be on this new TV show that we just need funding for. Uh, It's going to be called Sesame Street, and it's really great, and it's going to be for kids. And, you know, we're going to try to help kids because it's going to, we're going to be teaching them things that for free that they, essentially we're going to turn the TV into a teaching tool, which Mm -hmm. no one's ever really tried to do before. And uh, it's really kind of like Ernest thing, just talking about, and then suddenly they all, all these Muppet board members yeah. come in, all these money guys come <laughs> in, start talking about like, yeah, we're going to make a Sesame Street show. This is going to be awesome. And one of the guys is like, I don't like the name Sesame Street. We should name it something else. And one of the other Muppets <laughs> says, you know what, we should call it, if this show is for preschoolers and they don't know how to read, we should call it Hey Stupid. <laughs> Because not only the kid's stupid, but they're too stupid to read the title, so they get offended. And that's such a fucked up thing to say. That's like, you, you, you kind of remember Jim Henson being all soft and cuddly, but that's yeah. such a horrible joke. <laughs> and this pitch about preschool kids, like, who would think to, like, put that, like, that's, you can't replicate that. Jim Henson had issues. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you can make a perfect Muppet movie. I don't know. Think about it. We'll come back to it. Dot, dot, dot. Anyway, yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, Emily Carroll leads us, leads us into Man, comic book way to go, Emily. Stuff. Yeah, congratulations, Emily Carroll, if you're listening to this. If not, 
Oh, well, well, <laughs> uh, Emily Carroll's great because she put me up uh, uh, when I visited visited some friends up in uh, Toronto, mm-hmm. like almost ten years ago. Oh man, it was terrible. I had to walk through snow to get the bus station from Pittsburgh up to okay. Toronto. My feet were wet, and something's wrong with my shoes. Made my feet smell like a dead, <laughs> dead corpse pile of I'm sadness. Glad that's your memory of this. And oh, Emily put me up because I was visit, visiting Vera Brosgal, yeah. and like my feet stank. And I had to sleep on her couch. It was so like I was falling apart. It was a rough time. Like, and she put me up. She was so nice. She and her lady friend Kate. They're so sweet. They're such great. People. And then I forgot who she was. <laughs> Bill Mudrid story. Well, I stayed with Emily and I, you know, I hung out with those guys, but then uh, uh, we, you know, I met them for that one time, and you know, I was friends with Emily, and you know, I even friended her online, and she was she was on my part of my uh, my links on my website saying Emily Carroll's so great, and then she just kind of disappeared. Her website kind of went offline for a long time, and I just totally forgot about her. Next thing you know, there's this new Emily Carroll who draws completely differently, <laughs> suddenly toasting the fucking town. I'm like, man, I'm like, this new Emily Carroll's great. Not thinking it's the same Emily Carroll until Emily Carroll bumps into me at Stumptown and says, hey. Fucker, you slept on my couch. <laughs> I'm like, what? You're the, you're the same Emily Carroll? She's like, yeah. And yeah, so I owe her a drink. Or That's something. right. And Kate was standing behind her school. Huh. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, she's got a, a book deal that I would assume that will probably be coming out sometime. Next I year. like when nice people are successful. It makes me happy. Yeah, I'm really good. Emily Carroll just does draw beautiful stuff. It's uh, C A R R O L L. Uh, Google her ass. So anyway, uh, now, now we can on. talk about comics unlike what we're talking about now. Boom, yeah. Big baboon, big baboon, big baboon, big baboon. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, bud. He's got radioactive blood. Hey there, there goes the Spider-Man. Yo, okay, now we're back uh, to talk about comics. Yeah. That music that we just listened to was awesome. <laughs> I get to edit this, so it'll be interesting. Uh, So, uh, we're going to talk about comics that uh, influenced us and uh, fucked us up. Yeah. We can talk about our personal relationship with comics. Our favorite comics. Because, like, like how people come to comics is always very interesting to me. How did you come to comics? How did I come to comics? You can ask. (laughs) Bill. Bill. I, like most people, um, came to comics through comic strips. I remember tra- trolling my um, local library in their comic section because I figured out where in the Dewey Decimal System comic strips. Wow, that be. makes you old. That's like the last generation of people who would say, I found something by way of the Dewey Decimal I System. I love the Dewey Decimal System. I would get Dewey Decimal tattooed on me. That's how strongly I feel about the Dewey Decimal System, even though it is ridiculous. But anyway, yeah. I figured out where they were, and so I'd go and I'd sit there, and there are always, great, always these great books on comics history. Mm-hmm. And the only comic strip... Or excuse me, the only non-comic strip that was shelved with these, um, these comic strip books, um, was Mouse. So one of the first full-length God, comics I ever read God, was Mouse. God, you're young. Yeah. Oh my God. I remember, Mouse? Okay, here's my you terrible Mouse that. That's story. how you became a furry. It, well, no. Well, the, and, and honestly, on the back of it, it said something like... It made some sort of allusion to Watership Down, and that's part of the reason why I read Watership Down, too, which I read way too young. I I was young enough when I read Mouse that I remember, of all the terrible shit that happens in Mouse, I remember being scandalized by um, wieners in it. Do you see wieners? Oh, yeah. Little mouse wieners? There's awful bits where they're taking the showers. Like showers? No, Bill. No, the showers. The showers. I don't remember. I don't I remember, remember. Mouse forever. You read Mouse once. You really don't need to read it again. <laughs> well, it's it's hard to read. Yeah. That was like I I have um, suicide. Problem. Like suicide has been an issue in my family, and yeah. that was one of the first things I ever read that oh, talked about suicide. Oh my god. Read. 
Mouse. I read Mouse. That's one of the how first you, comics How I read. are you even into comics now? Well, so I went from Mouse to... We've talked a little bit about Disney Adventures and how much I love Disney oh, Adventures. Oh, yeah, that's right. Early Disney Adventures had the first issue or so... It was... Uh, they had a run of Bone by Jeff Smith yeah. in color up to where um, Bone and um, Thorne are in the river. That was the last thing that they did, as I recall. And then they stopped Which running. Which is actually kind of scandalous for Disney Adventures. Oh, they, I remember they watching edited her bathe. it. They edited the hell out of it. Because I yeah. remember, I really liked it, and they stopped doing it. And it was like, so I went to the bookstore, and I figured out where the collections were. So I read the collections, and then I ran out of collections, and I was waiting until the new collections came out. But um, I got tired, and I figured out there was a comic shop by my house. Oh, okay. So the co- there were actually two <laughs> comic shops by my house. The one that was closer to where I lived um, had a sign in the front that said no one under 18 because he had problems with theft. And it was owned by a dude who all I knew about him was there was a rumor that he had a shotgun under his counter. And again, it's Texas and I believe it. And that he had shot at a young man for shoplifting. Okay. Whether that's true or not is neither here nor there. Needless to say, I was scared shitless of it. The other comic shop that was How near my house. How old you been? Like 12? I was teeny tiny. I, was, I had just moved to Texas. I don't know. I should do the math. It yeah, young enough. Young enough. Anyway, Ugh. so but the other comic shop was such a boys' club. Yeah, like, and I remember very distinctly, I had to go yeah. all the way in the back to the far corner to find Bone, and there were always like role playing games in the back, and always really intense looking older dudes yelling at each other. Yeah, and um, it was just really scary to me to have to go there, but I really wanted to read Bone, so I'd go there and I'd get my Bone issues, and it was so important to me. And um, I would always keep my head down and just like beeline to the back. That's and pretty barely bad. Make eye contact you, yeah. with anybody until one day I was walking through and I looked at one of the, you know, and it, this went on for years and I read Bone like this and pretty much only Bone. I read Castle, I want to say Castle Waiting came out around that time. My not, memory of this is all pretty fuzzy, but I did not read anything other than Bone really. And um, I was walking around and um, as I was beelining to the back, I saw the first issue of Powers by Brian Michael Bendis, or okay. maybe it was the second issue. It was one of the first issues on the counter, just sitting on the, the shelf. And it just looked, something about the cover, I was like, that's kind of awesome. I really like how that's drawn. And I picked it up. And it kind of was like my gateway drug into other comics. Oh, no, you know? I do. Yeah. And so that's why I still love Brian Michael Bendis, even though I don't like Powers anymore. It went to a weird place. And, uh, but that's why, I mean, I owe, I owe so much to Brian Michael Bendis. Because if I had not, and to Michael Avon Omake. Because if that cover wasn't so compelling. Hmm, that's I had no I idea. Because you got me into Powers to begin with, but you never talked about, like, how that I got everybody started. into Powers. Yeah. I, 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 um, I got really evangelical about Powers. And mm-hmm. I would give the issue, at the time, I, I was the only person of my friend's group who read comics. So my big thing was I would buy comics and loan them to people. Like, that's what I saw was, like, I, that was something that I wanted to share with my friends. Mm-hmm. So I bought every single comic I could afford. Board, um, and, and would loan it to everybody. And remember, I once got in trouble because I took an issue of Powers to school. Um, and Powers features a lot of fucking. A lot of fucking, a lot of weird monkey rape. Well, that didn't happen until later. Though <laughs> he did lose me. That was the start of me being lost. Yeah, I know. I remember when that came out. And you, I watched you read it, and you just looked more and more distasteful with every page turned. Just... I know what he was going for, but that was a weird place to go. Uh... But anyway, no, there was an issue where Dina Powers is the female protagonist of um, Dina Wa- Dina. What was her last name? Was it Dina, Dina Walker. Dina Pilgrim. Excuse me. That's what it was. It was yeah. Christian Walker and Dina Pilgrim. Anyway, um, Dina has a dream that she's having sex with either Christian or another superhero. And when the superhero jisms in her, she shoots off into space and explodes. I swear to God. Because um, it's super jism. Yeah. And, uh, and I, this is an issue I brought to school and I love people. <laughs> and, uh... Oh, did you know what... Did you know what was happening? Well, I wasn't a total... I was a babe in the woods, but I, I knew... She can fly! 
I knew what space. I figured out that it was space. She's got fizzy rocket juice flying out of her. Yeah. So, and anyway, needless to say, that issue was really uh, intrigued everybody else. Oh my god! um, I try not to think about it too much because now those issues are worth a million dollars. Well, no, they're like worth fifty, seventy-five bucks, and I know I had them all. I have the first issue of Spawn laying around here. Oh, do you? Yeah. Uh, just because in high school, a friend of mine was like, man, Spawn is so cool. We're going to go to the mall and buy Spawn. And I remember just really thinking, wow, if the Spawn thing takes off, I'll just buy this first issue for three seventy five and sell it. And it's only worth like $8 now. <laughs> I think that, that was far along, far along enough in the collector's market yeah. where the, everyone was already buying like yeah. buying up first uh, first editions, editions of first uh Issues like crazy. So. I can't believe that was a thing. Like, um, really, just saying that out loud sounds ridiculous. What's that? Just buying up all the first Buy- issues. Collector's of, issues. Yeah, just, just it's a weird thing. So what else? Anyway, no, but that was like kind of how I got into comics. So pretty much, I, I read almost everything the Bendis wrote, which yeah. at that time was Powers and um, Torso, which is pretty good, and Jinx, which I like. So I recently reread it, oh, and uh, yeah. it's not as uh, forgiving. It's not as good. You've got him here in Portland now, though, right? I've met him a couple of times. I made the mistake of telling him in a really weird, creepy, intense way. You know, you're why I live in Portland, which is creepy <laughs> thing to say to someone who lives in Portland. But oh I, my I meant god! Was, like, if, it, if I hadn't looked at. Did you have a t-shirt with cleavage or something? Just to at least take the edge off the <laughs> exactly. situation. Like, no, I, I, if I hadn't read Powers, I never would have gotten yeah, yeah, into comics. Exactly, yeah. And if I hadn't gotten into comics, I never would have made friends like you and Dylan McConaughey. That comment just needed a lot of that, context. Exactly. It meant it in the um, least creepy way possible. Jeff cool. Smith and, and Brian Michael Bendis That's are really... That's a combo. Yeah. It's a weird combo. <laughs> <sighs> But yeah, Je- Bone. I um, I still love Bone. I've like mm. so. I read. I read so much of it collected over and over and over. Like I read the first couple of volumes. You weren't reading the floppies. You just had the collection. well. Eventually, yeah. The last. Well, half yeah. Of it, I read the floppies. Ugh. And um, I, I shouldn't never, say. Ugh, well, I read it as it was released, and yeah. his release schedule got really erratic. And he took a year break to work on the he movie. He talks about in in this. In I have the deluxe color edition of Bone that came out this yeah. past summer. And he, somewhere in this stuff, he talks about why things got messed up with yeah. that. Yeah, I think it was part of the Bone movie. Like, yeah. Oh no, it totally was. But yeah, I, I totally like. So when and there's such a like a like it, the narrative ramps up so much in the end, I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. So I still don't really That's know why. how Bone. Ends. Other than one of my favorite characters is killed. Oh yeah, we, we not spo- yeah. yeah no, we shouldn't even say what God it is, damn. just in case. But yeah, no bone. Yeah, is a comic by Jeff Smith about these two, uh, this trio of creatures who just end up in this kind of Lord of the Rings fantasy world. Yeah, and it kind of does turn into Lord of the Rings towards the end. But it is still just, it's really well drawn. It's got a really it's great beautiful. sense of humor. It's Jeff Smith has a great sense of composition and pacing. Yeah. It's, There's also, a, it's really interesting as comics, too. I like what he does. Like, he, he's, he doesn't do anything, like, um, super daring, but he does little things like how he frames dreaming. And yeah. and it becomes more important as a narrative device thing goes on. But uh, And, like, his compositions are really great. He's very much so inspired by um, Pogo and... Seriously, um, yeah. Uh, uh, the... Um, uh, Scrooge McDuck comics and it's pretty clear, yeah, but it's Marsh it's just stuff, yeah. it's it's all it's beautiful stuff. It's interesting because uh, too the the Bone Brothers are they brothers? Um, they're cousins. The Bone, yeah, the Bone cousins are all uh, characters he invented when he was like four. Yeah, when he was in kindergarten, like a little little kid, yeah. not just like when he was in high school or middle school, but no. when he was this. These are characters he's been drawing all of his whole life, and now that's this is his bread and butter yeah. still. Even though he hasn't worked on Bone for years now, like. Bone is still the thing that defines him. Have you read any of Razzle? No, you haven't said all characters. No, man, Jeff Smith is not good drawing people. That's not. <laughs> uh, what's the big guy in Bone that everyone loves? Lucius. Lucius. 
Lucius is the only person. And Grandma I think Ben. Is Grandma Ben is one of Even Rose or a thorn and uh, Bone, she mm-hmm. flies off off model if there's such a thing in comics all the time. And uh, him drawing a character full, uh, a comic book full of human characters doesn't appeal for me, just from a visual point of view. I don't know, is the writing terrible too? I have no idea what's going on in Razzle. Eh. It's, well, it's, it has to do with, I mean, it has to do with Tesla. Anytime Tesla's involved, shit's gonna get weird, unless yeah. it's Atomic Robo, and then it's acceptable. So what else? Uh, no, I love, I love Bone. What are your comics, Bill? I don't read comics. <laughs> it says the guy is surrounded by comics. I was say, you're I have not read comics in a long time. I got into comics uh, through Mad Magazine as a kid. Yeah. That was my big thing. Uh, it's funny because, like, I tell people my big thing growing up was movies as a kid. And I didn't read comics that much. But I read Mag Magazine all the time. It wasn't until recently I just realized I was reading Mag Magazine. That's fucking comics. It's not like a floppy normal comic. Like, you know, like, it's not Superman or anything like that. But that's, uh, Mad Magazine fucked me up, too. Because my instinct to when I'm writing something or even drawing something, to pack it with as much detail as humanly possible totally yeah. comes from Mad Magazine. Yeah. Especially, like, Dick DeBartolo and all those guys would just, like, fill their panels with just all the, as much jokes Shit, and yeah. detail as humanly possible. Yeah. That still, t- today, has informed my aesthetic towards, if you don't fill the frame with as much shit as possible, then you're wasting fucking space. If that's a, that's not necessarily good Which instinct really to have. really because that's the opposite of, of, of Justin Smith's bone. Because yeah. he's so It's so spare. spare. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why it's so evocative. Yeah. It's and you think I'd be I'd be better at caricatures and cartooning growing up reading Mad Magazine than I am. But you don't like drawing faces. Um but yeah, no, that like so really as a kid, I read Mag magazine, I read some uh the only actual comics normal quote unquote not, uh, comics I read as a kid were like Star Wars comics. Yeah. Uh yeah, I just I just found this in my collection. This is actually from back in the day. It's uh uh, Luke Skywalker fighting some uh, Darth Vader chick who is a laser whip. <laughs> and he gets the shit kicked out of him. I remember thinking, oh, that's cool. And he's got, like, a fish Jedi uh, pupil and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I read that, a couple G.I. Joe comics. But I just, I was like, man, why read a sh- comic book when you got the movies? And the movies, it's it's moving, it's sound. And, oh, I man, as a kid, I also, like, I, I got this big bone against uh, comics as a kid. Uh, another Star Wars thing where, uh, as a kid, because I was in the movies, I collected books about the making of Star Wars and all mm-hmm. the Star Wars production art. And uh, then the Star Wars, uh, the comics, the Marvel comics based off of the Star Wars movies came out, the adaptations. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, you could totally tell when the artists were copying the actual assets from the movies. Like, yeah. oh, here's a drawing of the Millennium Falcon. And when they had to draw the Millennium Falcon without photo reference, it looked terrible. Or when they had to create, like, sci-fi backgrounds to, like, a city to, like... To, to like Cloud City or something like that without using reference from the movie it looks so shitty that I got in my head that comic artists professional comic artists don't know what the hell they're doing compared to, to, to uh, movie production designers don't judge comics based off of this licensed this is Bill's six year old mind going thinking oh my god people draw comics are fucking fools how could how can they not draw Star Wars right it's the easiest thing in the world to draw granted like you had uh, guys it's like Al Williamson and stuff drawing these comics who you know they were old even back when these comics were being produced, and they were drawing, they, they were thinking, oh, Buck Rogers. Yeah. And kind of drawing more old school stuff like that. And which did not necessarily jive with some of the stuff in Star Wars, but yeah. So I hated comics. As a kid. <laughs> that wasn't Mad Magazine. But I, when I got into high school, uh, I really started getting, I had a lot of friends who were into indie comics. And so even in high school, I did not get into superhero comics. I got into, uh, uh, my, oh man, my favorite comic arth, uh, artist, author of all time is Evan Dorkin. Evan Dorkin, creator of Milk and Cheese. Actually, the whole reason we're doing comics this week is because Evan Dorkin just came out with a new Milk and Cheese uh, um, 
uh, Compendium from Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he is easily my favorite uh, cartoonist. He is just I so fucking ridiculous. I that you're friends with punk rockers. So yeah. Your, your, your comics experience comes from a place of punk. Yeah. Uh, well, not that Evan Dorgan's really punk. Well, he was all ska punk He's and stuff more like that. punk than um, Jeff Smith. <laughs> yeah, let's put it that way. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, my, uh, in high school, all the comics I read uh, were uh, Hernandez Brothers, Chris Ware, uh, well, I tried reading some of Sandman back in the day, I couldn't get into it, because it was so fucking emo. Uh, just, just, what else? I can't even remember, like, lot, lot, yeah, a lot of indie stuff, uh, there was, uh, yeah, Love and Rockets, um, brr, 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 uh, Magic Whistle, oh, man! Peter Bag, Peter Bag stuff. Have you ever seen Peter Bag stuff? Yes, I know. He's great. He did a comic book called Hate, and you scream, I scream, we all scream for Miller in the can. <laughs> um, that's a, man. He draws so grotesquely, and all his characters have loopy little arms and stuff. Like Anne Frank conquers the Moon Nazis is inspired. Uh, the, the design of it is actually takes a lot from Pete Bag's uh, yeah, uh, uh, Buddy Bradley stuff. And so yeah, uh, everything I was into in high school was really cheaply produced black and white. Mm-hmm. Kind of grungy indie comics. Yeah. Well, even other stuff like Julie Deshay and even like really grungy stuff like Julie Deshay and, and stuff like that I was reading. And, uh. Yes. Like, is it, like, I went, read a weird co- cross section of comics because all my comics came from what I furtively bought at the comic shop, which was very limited, and what I could find at the library. Yeah. Like, I think, I still to this day, when I go to the library, one of my first things I do is go to the comic section. Yeah. Cause just to see what they have. Because I think about what if little Annie were in this moment right now, what would she pick up? Who is your Who is your favorite cartoonist? Now? Yeah, comic book art like person ever of all time. You have to because mine oh, is Evan Dork, and I'm throwing down that gauntlet. Wow! See, this is why you got to prepare for See, this. See, but shit. it's the thing is like, so you're asking me for art. I want absolutes. Things must be listed and qualified with, with you know, like yeah, I know that's the other thing. Yeah, do you want there are writers, artists, and favorite writer yeah, versus yeah? And, and See, I'm just liking that like because I was so into indie comics. Most indie comics are produced by usually one person. Yeah. You know, it's easily to say. You know, my favorite is Doodly to Shelley. My favorite. I will say this. If I were on a desert island and I could only have three comic books sent to me. Yeah, this, and have uh, no this is a better other, question. And have no other means. Because that doesn't necessarily mean best. That means what I makes you happiest. Yeah. Well, this is, we're going to talk more about that next year with, uh, uh, next week with the Game of the Year stuff. If I had to have three comic books supplied to me on a desert island, it would be the newest Yatsuba. Oh, Yatsuba ampersand is my favorite manga of all time. Goddamn. Yatsuba is about a a little girl named Yatsuba who is excited about everything. And the art is so joyful and Yatsuba is so joyful and the stories are so simple and pure. It makes me smile in my darkest moments. That is the only manga either of us really like. Oh, I also like the dude did Azumanga Daioh. No, that's good too, but like that guy. But Yatsuba in particular. Yatsuba, so... I love Yatsuba. So Yatsuba, if every time I get a new volume of Yatsuba in my pull box, my day is made. Yatsuba is about this little girl who just experiences life. That's like, every, every comic strip is yeah. just her, just like, Yatsuba like, and cake. The yeah. joke is it's Yatsuba ampersand, because it's always Yatsuba and. It's yeah. Yatsuba and, sheep. you know. Exactly. And just sheep. her going to a sheep farm. Yeah, it's like, about Yatsuba sheep. and fireworks. Yeah. You know, Yatsuba and cicadas. You know, it's like, it's awesome. Um, so, uh, Yatsuba, um, Ultimate Spider-Man. I've talked about Ultimate Spider-Man in the past. I've never read superhero comics. I love Ultimate Spider-Man. I've been on it since day one. Again, it's Brian Michael Bendis. I really did enjoy it. Mark Bagley's artwork is hard for some people to get past because he drew something like 44 pages a month, which is insane. Yeah. And you could tell where he took shortcuts. But I really enjoyed his art. I found it to be very expressive and emotional, and I loved it. And I love the writing. It's great. And um, 
Atomic Robo. Atomic Robo, I just recently I discovered. I this. You just found out about this. I have been very fortunate in that I have not really discovered a lot of comics lately, but the comics that I have come to have been absolute pleasures. Atomic Robo is one of my favorite things, period, right now. Well, I need to check into that. So, there's a... I will only some volumes and some good stuff. So there, if I had those three things, I'd be happy as claim. Are there any other mainstream comics that you like? Like superhero stuff or anything? I don't really read any. Yeah. I feel like it's not for me. Well, just even going through this stuff, I realized, I like, even back in the day, like, I remember one of the few, well, quote-unquote mainstream comics was, I ever picked up was, uh, Aliens Had a Dark Horse. Well, I know, or, blah, Dark Horse had, uh, for, like, they, when they kind of started off, they were more licensed than anything yeah. else. Granted, Dark Horse still has a ton of license comics, but... Uh, they had an alien series that was painted by whoever's name is on the inside front cover. And uh, it's one of the few comic books I ever saw as a kid where, like, the comic actually looked as... Again, Bill worried about if a comic looks like the movie. This looked like the movie, so it got the Bill Mudrin stamp of approval. This is from, like, 1987 or something Dennis like that. Dennis Bouvet. Uh, yeah, it's all hand-painted. That looked fucking gorgeous. But, yeah, that was the first Dark Horse comic I ever bought. And I still have it. It's it's a tattered as fuck right now. Man, oh man, this has been my favorite Chris, I, Chris Ware. I love, even though he can be intolerable because it's fucking Chris Ware. Uh, but his he has uh, his his two fa- my favorite two characters is his is there's this little potato dude with no eyeballs. Yeah, who just gets the shit kicked out of him. And there's Quimby the mouse. Uh, there are his two characters that uh, they never have dialogue or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. just like little uh, little silent comic strips where horrible things happen to them. And it's still funny. <laughs> And man, these are probably two best like individual comic books ever produced. Like just as a floppy individual issues. Uh, Pirate Corps number six by Evan Dorkin. Uh, it's just guys fighting about art in jail. Uh, the other one is Pirate Corps number three, which is uh, the this is Pirate Corps was Evan Dorkin's other big series other than Milk and Cheese. It's essentially Firefly mm-hmm. before Fly, uh, Firefly. It's about a crew of. Uh, intergalactic smugglers yeah. who live on this shitty-ass little ship. And the two main characters are Halby Durzel, who's a deserter from, like, the intergalactic uh, uh, colonial marines or something like that, and his friend Halby, no, Blue uh, Renensko. And they both, they're, they're just a couple punk ska kids. And uh, issue three of Pirate Court is about them getting lost in this big city-sized supermarket. Yeah. Uh, where they're harassed by uh, little... Uh, like, boxes of cereal and stuff that run up to them and are like, Hello, my name is Quisp. I am on sale on aisle 593 or something like that. And they go nuts and they meet these this gang of uh, uh, girls known as the Trombone Girls and there's corpses and freezers and stuff like that. That, that may be my favorite, like, 36 pages of comics stuff <laughs> right there. Um, but yeah, comics are awesome. <laughs> Man, and there's... Carly Speed McNeil, Finder is fantastic. is fascinating. She's a fascinating storyteller. I think it's very brave when people who just are committed to telling a story. Yeah. And they just tell it. Like, I think that's fascinating. Like, Carly's Finder is such an interesting book because it's so hard to come to. Yeah. It's like, once you drink the Kool-Aid and you're in, you're in. Yeah. But Finder is very dense and very deliberately so. And the whole thing is that you're just kind of submerged in this world. And um, you catch on or you don't. Yeah, Carla, and, yeah, Carla Speaking McNeil, she does a, a comic called Finder. It's about, ostensibly, it's about this guy who's this native tribesman in this kind of post-apocalyptic alternate world. I don't know if it's an alien world or what. Uh, just running around this futuristic city, this domed city, just getting into all kinds of adventures and stuff like that. And if you ever want to read Finder, uh, read uh, pick up her collection, Talisman, Yeah, first, Talisman is amazing. Which is all about uh, uh, her character... What's your character's name? 
I color her comics. I should know this. Jaeger! <laughs> you. There you Jaeger! Go. Uh, he ends up uh, uh, gifting a book to a small child, and it's all about her recollections of this book. And it is one of the best pieces of comics. It's it's read, really very well I've done. Ever read. Very well done. Um, her she the, she's not afraid to have certain types of characters in her books that are kind of fascinating. Yeah. She also plays a lot with gender yeah. and. Uh, social archetypes, social hierarchies and stuff like that. She's just, she's like, she's really, really fucked up smart. There are some people who process pop culture and, 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 um, you know, blend it and produce it on a page. And some people are too cute about it. Carlos Speed McNeil does that, but in the most awesome and interesting way, the way she synthesizes pop culture and introduces it to her world is really, really fascinating. She's also an Endorkin fan. What, like the second panel of her first comic, they're making a, a pirate core joke. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that that's actually the thing that sold me uh, before anything else. <laughs> but yeah, you know what? Like uh, uh, the only uh, I got a couple more things to talk about. Uh, and we'll end this. Uh, Cas- Castle waiting. Castle waiting is amazing. By Linda Medley. It's gorgeous. It is the Princess Bride of comics. It is. It's all about fairy tale stuff. It's not like fables, but it's 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 just... it's fairy tale stuff. But th- rather than put it in any sort of modern setting, she just makes the characters much more human. Yeah, and then runs them through the and environment. It, yeah, just a bunch of fantastical characters living together in a and castle. Her art is so fantastic, dear yeah. lord. I she love has her a couple art. collections. That I think put out by Fantagraphics. Uh, Sandman. You've never read Sandman? You could never get past, like, issue 20 of Sandman where it's all suicide. The rape diner, I couldn't. (laughs) That's it. I was done. Sandman, I tried, like I said, I tried to get into middle school, and that shit was just too emo. I remember there was an uh, an issue about cats, and there was an issue about, uh, uh, death and delirium, or dream and delirium having dinner with destruction. Death, though, or, uh, uh, Sandman, though, if you can plow through the first terribly drawn... 20, 30 issues and get to the good stuff, which is terrible to say because it's only 20, well, no, it's not 20, it's maybe only the first half dozen issues you can get past, like, because I think the rape diner issue, like, it's it's one of the first narratives, yeah, Yeah. yeah, it's one of the first stories, if you can get past that, the art gets better, the writing starts getting tighter, he starts pulling all the narrative threads together, Sandman is one of the best comics out there, the ending of Sandman, the last volume, the, well, no, not technically, not technically the last, but the one where, uh, it's the climax of the story. Yeah. Is fucking crazy. All the narrative threads that come together and yeah. how that how that's done is just holy shit. I, I, I it's just the tension and everything in that comic is is I respect phenomenal. Neil Gaiman. I'm not a Neil Gaiman person. Uh it doesn't help that his uh prose books aren't very good. Well I mean it's just beyond all that. I just I'm not I'm not uh, he I totally respect him and I get his importance and I just don't like there's some people who like I just like Well you're a character person. You like characters and you like stories. Neil Neil Gaiman doesn't really tell stories about characters. He tells stories about ideas. Mm-hmm. That's why Sandman's such a great fit for him because like all of his characters are ideas. They're abstracts. When and yet I love Philip K. Dick. I know, so but when go. it comes to actually writing stories about normal people, he just falls apart because he's not interested in normal people. Um, Scott McCloud. Scott McCloud is an amazing human being. His understanding comics is one of the best books ever written. He's crippled too. <laughs> he had his foot removed. He got diabetes. He <laughs> did flippers for hands. Though. Yeah. He draws so well, flippers for hands. Uh, spoilers, we actually do kind of know Scott, so if we suddenly start... Sc- no, uh, Scott McCloud is a mensch. He's a mensch. He, he, is, he is a sweetheart. He 
Yeah, uh, Scott McCloud and Steve Lieber are both tied for the Nicest Guys in Comics Award. Nicest Guys, period. And beyond that, what I love about Understanding Comics is it's such a smart book yeah. about art that is so relatable. I have given that to so many 12- and 13-year-olds, and it has opened their eyes every time. I'm consistently amazed at how, many, how often people give copies of Understanding Comics to people who aren't even like in the comics industry, or if it's just... Mm-hmm. Like, if you're just talking about language yeah, or any there kind of, like, design or clarity or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's... Uh, understanding comics is just as a just home, uh, just about communication. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. And he, what, what, he also has Understanding... Whatever his, his other books. I've read all of them. Comics. But, yeah, that's what it is. And the last one is Making Money Off of Comics. <laughs> I can't remember. Skrilla. Comic Skrilla. No, no, no. He's no, got no. enough books now. It's hard for me to keep track of him. But, yes, uh, Scott McCloud's amazing. Um, Jason Shiga. He's, we talked about him before. He does crazy, he's another indie guy, but he does a lot of crazy stuff. He has a great Good book shit. called Meanwhile, which is now also an uh, iPad app, but mm-hmm. you should find that on Amazon if you can. And uh, I'm trying to think of uh, comic strips. I'm trying to think of any comic strips that were... Seminal to me, other than Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes, of course. That's the default thing, yeah. Garfield, yeah. I, I drew a lot of Garfield as a kid that to impress other people. Like, people would see that I could draw Garfield and be like, oh my god, you're such a good artist! Maybe in the third grade, I wrote something that was basically a ripoff of a Garfield book and special where Garfield was a private eye. Oh, uh, why am I not surprised? Maybe that happens. You must be tired of living. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> And uh, I'm trying to think of any web comics. Well, recently, I, I have not. I've been trying to Which pull back. Everyone we know is like web cartoonists and shit, and I'm like, I've tried to pull back on my web consumption lately in an attempt to kickstart my own creative juices. Yeah, it's not worked out really well. But the the comics that I've stuck with are, of course, Family Man um, uh, by Dylan Conus. The comics um, we've stuck with are comics drawn by everyone we know. <laughs> the end. No, the if one comic, the one, the only comic recently that I've discovered. Yeah. Um, I recently discovered this is a couple months ago. No, I guess it was a year ago because I got one of the collections. For Christmas. I just discovered um, uh, Anthony Clark's Nedroid. I think he calls it Nedroid picture yeah. book. Oh yeah. Oh, it's he has fucking a, great. It's a published thing. Oh, oh he, no, web he comics. did a couple of Topeka. Co- oh, we're talking about web comics now. Oh, right? I forgot about that. What comic strips that aren't that on the web are, are relevant? <laughs> yeah, I know. I am still biased. Part of me still thinks, oh, web comics. Someday they'll be real. The Nedroid.com, um, N-E-D-R-O-I-D.com. Real, Bear Tato and Reginald are great, great characters. <laughs> I know, I'm just saying them out loud. I recently got a Bear Tato um, plush for my wife, and it's awesome. Um, it's, it's really laugh-out-loud funny, and it's so great. Um, I recently reread all of Bad Machinery. Which is, um, uh, uh, John Allison is an old trooper. Oh, John Allison, yeah. He's... He did, back in the day, a great comic called Bobbins. He went on to do Scary Around, and he recently... Is well, that drawn by him? Not just vector graphic by him? No, but... this is, he, he went back to drawing. The, John Allison is fascinating because he, more so, gosh, than almost any other comics on the web, artists on the web, you've been able to see the evolution of him as an artist. Oh, okay. Because for, Bobbins was primarily hand-drawn, and then went into vector-based, and he did most of it in Illustrator. Yeah. He then did a comic called Scary Ground, which was again mostly Vector. And like, then I still think a Scary Ground is his new comic. <laughs> and that's like from like 10 years Bad ago. Bad Machinery, I read it all within a couple of days. Bad Machinery is astounding. I need to go back and read that because I love his sense of humor. He's... And his ear for dialogue is so great and his composition is so fantastic. 
Um, I highly recommend he's doing a, a, a now is a great time to get on the um, John Allison train if you have not ridden on it or have not in a while because he's taking a, a, a hiatus from Bad Machinery and doing a story about uh, called Murder She Writes featuring uh, Shelley Winters who is one of his best yeah, characters well, from yeah. Bobbins and Scary Garand. Wow. A uh, character that he clearly cannot quit and uh, it's a very enjoyable story. It's well drawn. It's the color is fantastic. Did Shelley get killed and brought back? couple of times yeah. it's web comics my friend um, uh no but uh it, it's great um recently i uh, oglaf is fantastic i think everyone knows yeah, Oglaf now when writing my list of web comics that i like that isn't produced by someone i know i came up with oglaf and rage comics <laughs> that was it oh dear what's wrong with the oglaf well you know i love oglaf go to oglaf <laughs> It's all sex joke comics. It's hilarious. The most recent installment in particular there's is a, really great. There's a creature called the cum sprite. This guy is cursed so that whenever he comes, his cum shoots out, turns into this monster, and starts yelling at everyone about how he just came. It's, uh, it's fucking hilarious. Um, have you... Uh, Octopus Pie is fantastic by Meredith Brand. The current story oh! that she's telling is so good. The, the story right now. I, I mean, it's, it's Michael always, Jackson for a second. She's one of my favorite cartoonists. She is a, she's a phenomenal cartoonist. Her composition is fantastic. Her drawing skills. Her you drawing can tell is she fantastic. Was, she, she comes from animation and, and it's, it, looks it like shows. It. It, it looks like a Cartoon Network show as a webcomic. And her, her character writing is fantastic. The narrative that she's telling right now is very true and very honest in a way you I haven't kept see up on it in a couple weeks I have to catch up this this story is very very good I mean it's all very good yeah. but this one in particular I'm very I'm very impressed with her so Rage Comics I'm still convinced though man Rage Comics are the most hilarious thing I think Rage Comics is the best thing they are the logical conclusion of the internet because it lets anyone make a comic so it Rage is, Comics I you, hope Scott McCloud's next book is about Rage understanding Comics understanding Rage you. Comics yeah so Rage Comics if you are not uh if you have um, if you don't go to reddit if you have dipped your toe into 4chan reddit or tumblr at some yeah. point you have encountered rage comic rage comic are um it's it's kind of fascinating from like a just as from like as a exactly yeah. just as a um uh, uh observer of like online society it's kind of fascinating because what it is are these very primitive comics usually using um pre-existing faces as a template i think there's a couple websites you go to and they have all the yeah. templates and you could just type in all your information Absolutely. you can kind of draw with your mouse like yeah there are these faces and expressions and like memes obviously but they have kind of become it's kind of it's fascinating because we were when we were talking briefly about cartoons a couple episodes ago, and one thing that I always think of with Looney Tunes cartoons and people who haven't seen Looney Tunes cartoons is that there are some things that I just assume you know. Yeah. Like when you hear the Romeo and over it, like with music is a big thing I think of with Looney Tunes. Like they're you know, like when you hear the little brown drug jug, you know someone's drunk. Like Romeo and Juliet overture, it means yeah. someone's in love. Like there are these things that mean more than what they are. And rage comic faces have kind of reached that level yeah. where you can just see a face. This really primitively drawn face, and it means more than what it is. Yeah. And it's just kind of fascinating. It is. If the internet... You know how the symbol for drama is sad face, happy face? Yeah. These faces are for that for the internet, where it's... Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just internet shorthand for... It's the new emoticons, really, yeah. but it's in comic format. Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, so anyone can just go... Make a comic and a Rage Comic Editor. All you have to do is Google the words Rage Comic Editor, mm-hmm. and you'll find a place where you can just, like, tell a story about what happened to you today about a dream you had last night. And it's kind of like... And a lot of them are actually fucking hilarious, yeah. too. And the way that, like... Because everyone's kind of forced to use kind of the same clip art, but have to, like, 
recontextualize it yeah. with their own stories and stuff like that. It just, like, and, and people are learning how to make comics. Because I've seen people yeah. actually discuss, like, people. Uh, somebody will post a comic not understanding why they're getting enough laughs. And someone will point out, well, you should have had the first person to talk first. Yeah. Should be on the left. The next, you know, just mechanically, it's, 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 it's interesting to see people learning how to make comics. Yeah. And, yeah, no, yeah, no. Rage comics are kind of, like, the one of the best things that have happened to just, just comics making in a long time. It's really neat. Yeah. Because, the you know, it, it, it since there's this common level of generalized shittiness. Yeah, so even, even if you're Scott, Scott McCloud, you're going to make a comic that doesn't look a hell of a lot better than anyone else's. That's the best thing. Yeah, it's totally fascinating. Yeah. It's just a fascinating thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, aside from people we know, Dylan, Family Man, Dylan McConus draws Family Man, Jim Ann Lee has Dicebox, which she just, uh, she, uh, Dicebox.com, I think. Dicebox.net, I believe. Dot net. Jen Manley Lee, drawn by, uh, she has just put her book, uh, the first volume of Dicebox into print. That is gorgeous. I have a copy sitting on my desk it's right a now. copy. She gave it to me for my, bir- well, not for my birthday, I actually paid for it. It just happened to show up right before my birthday. Dicebox is about a, a pair of itinerant lesbian farm worker lady guys, persons doing stuff in the future. It's, it's, I'm it's, not selling it very well, but it's gorgeous. It's beautifully rendered, beautifully painted, The beautifully volume, drawn. the book itself looks gorgeous. The characters are great. Like yeah. The dialogue is great. The world she has built is fascinating. It's and crazily it's, multicultural and just, yeah. like, really rich. Like, that world lives in Jen's head. It's like so good. Oh, my God. It's such a fully realized world. So that's Dicebox. I'm so proud of her. This is such... I'm Erica. So well, Erica does stuff. She does Bucca right now. I like Erica. She does stuff. <laughs> we, of course, had Erica Moen on Erica Tootsie. Moen. She does buckocomic.com. Mm-hmm. And she, of course, did an amazing um, uh, uh, comic, well, uh, autobiographical comic called Dar. Yeah. About her experiences, which was fantastic. D-A-R. Um... That's it. Man, she put my, my fill-in for Dicebox in the back. Oh, she, I forgot about the other. The she, had asked, um, she had asked... Uh, this is Jen Manley Lee. I cannot... I'm looking at the Dicebox book. Um, I could not think of what to do because Dicebox is such an amazing thing, and I couldn't think of what to add to it. And I've always been fascinated by online fandom, so I basically... I, I thought of this meta joke that is just like a meta, meta joke that I don't know if anyone else thought was funny, so God bless her for including it. I was like, well, what if Dicebox got optioned as a movie, and the movie entirely missed the point of Dicebox, yeah. but because it's the internet, there's fandom around the movie. It's basically all about the fandom of the Dicebox <laughs> film that doesn't resemble Dicebox. So Annie created this <laughs> fake com page. Uh, talk, now seeing the Dicebox film, and Annie just did a perfect just recreation of just com shitty, just shitty See, everything. The, I thought that joke was okay, but the joke that I thought was even better was that it's a lot, uh, there was that entry, because it was like, someone saw the trailer and is describing it before yeah. the trailer's gotten released, but what I thought was even a better joke was there's a live journal post from a Dicebox movie Oh yeah, that's right, yeah. Where they're talking about, um, there was a, something in the trailer, there was a clip in the trailer that wasn't included in the film, and it was included in the shitty paperback adaptation of the film <laughs> and so of course the fandom is leaping on this as lost canon and it's just ridiculous i'm just ugh, we, were, we were we were looking at this at uh, my birthday party everyone was we that's like we were flipping to that back and cracking up about that. i one day many warm feelings were expressed about your fan fiction for jen's god i just comic. think that is a great joke one day i would really like to tell a narrative that is entirely on a fake forum around a fandom yeah. Like a totally fake fandom, like totally fake forum. I think that would be a fascinating way to sell storytelling, and I've been thinking about it ever since I did that, like, six years ago. Yeah. But it, by its definition, be way too complex. 
way too ambitious and way too weird. Would you have to create a thing that it's about, too? Like, you couldn't just do it about Adventure Time. It'd be a fake fandom. That'd be the whole point. Uh, Because the fact of the matter is, when you enter a fandom, even if it's something you're familiar with, if you enter a fandom for the first time, guess what? It is something that does not resemble what you, what you know it to be. I, I, I'm not, I was very heavily involved with fandom as a very young person on the internet. Very quickly ran away from it. I still find fandom fascinating. And, um, I, uh, I did, almost did a paper on Harry Potter fandom in college, but I did it because I didn't want to have to explain to my professor what slash fic was. So. Oh, no. But, okay. um, anyway, uh, fandom is fascinating to me. I'm going off the tracks a little bit, but, um, fandom is totally neat because it very quickly becomes something that is linked to the source material, but becomes this whole other thing. Like, I, the only, Kinda my... like the Muppets movie. My only link, there we go, full circle. My only link to fandom right now is I follow a few tags on Tumblr. I follow the Mass Effect tag. <laughs> The Uncharted tag yeah. and some other tag. And it's just great to see these flurries of fandom, like, that I'm totally unrelated to. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, from just totally an archeo- like an anthropological perspective. It's it is totally- interesting to be older and watching younger people flip out about stuff the same way you might have, like, five or six years ago. Well, 10 or 15 years ago. Or Give me 20. a little credit. <laughs> oh, little yeah, credit. I always forget. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that's comics. our comics talk. Okay, well, real quickly before we wrap this up, uh, I put out a, a thing on the uh, Boy Howdy podcast Twitter feed, just asking people for uh, their comic uh, thoughts and opinions. Uh, S. Buddha Havarapu. I am going to say this right. S. Buddha Havarapu says, uh, he just mentions uh, Scott McCloud's understanding comics. What uh, Neil Gaiman's Whatever Happened to the Batman? Have you ever heard of that? I'm so not in superhero fandom. Uh, yeah, and Howard Taylor's Schlock Mercenary. We should, I should have Googled some of these before the podcast. Uh, we don't... I, Scott McCloud, we know everyone... Ugh, what's Neil Gaiman? I don't get it. He has a post in his backyard. He takes pictures of his dogs. I don't understand. Uh, uh, Spin Their Yarns says, I love lots of webcomics, but Cleopatra in Space and 2D Goggles are at the top of my list by a mile. Hmm. No idea who those are. Oh my god, I'm like, hey everyone, come on to Twitter! Talk about shit, I don't know! Um, Girl Power Comics says, I'll, I'll avoid uh, pimping myself and suggest a gold digger. Human action adventure, written and drawn by the same guy for 180 issues. Issues? Jesus. Published by Antarctic Press. Hmm. Uh, Sean Baca says, I love Sandman, I'm a sucker for Neil Gaiman's writing, as one of the most bittersweet en- endings I've ever seen, ever read. Yes, he is right. <laughs> uh, Star Wars, Tag, and Bank are a genuinely funny and irreverent take on the events surrounding the film's nice artwork, too. I think Mike Russell has talked about that, mm-hmm. where it's kind of like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Yeah, because it's about Stormtroopers. Like, uh, yeah. And then Shub- uh, Sean Baca, who digs Star Wars. Finally, the Star Wars Rogue Squadron series took some great peripheral characters and made them great. Uh, Yazan Izard was an excellent foil and never digressed into textbook villainy. He kept things interesting, like Gold Ducat on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which I need to make you keep watching. <laughs> um, and one last thing, uh, from FTG Comic says, Sydney Padua's 2D Goggles is my current obsession. We need to read this guy's 2D say, Goggles. I was gonna say, clearly two people. Uh, plus some crazy shit called Family Man is always at the top. Family Man, who reads that? <laughs> I spent every Friday with uh, with Dylan McConus talking about Family Man and what she's going to do for her next week's script. So I know all about Family Man. <laughs> I give you some sp- Family Man spoilers. 
P.S. They're, they're all They're all ducks. <laughs> Wear ducks. So, yeah, that is uh, a first of many uh, comic conversations we're we, going to have on this show. We mostly wanted to have just a brief, like, recap of our feelings on comics in general so that when we talk about it again, beyond the fact that yeah, everyone has porn comics, y'all have some context. Yeah, everyone has some context. context. Annie only knows Disney, Disney Adventures and Bone. I only know indie comics produced by the punk community 20 to 25 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> Um, and that is it. I'm always really excited to try new comics. I'm yeah. always hopeful. Uh, Superman by What's-His-Face is nice. Alan Moore. Who does Superman? You mean Frank Quietly Frank and uh, Grant Morrison's Grant run Morrison. on Superman, though? Who's Grant Morrison? He's Did a comics writer. You write X-Man. <laughs> I'm not even gonna... Like, the other comic I read this last, within the last year or so that I was really surprised by was Stumptown, which is about a... a, a, a t- oh! A lady detective. Kind of portrayer <laughs> of Steve. <laughs> Not, yeah. a, a t- it was a, about a tough lady detective in Portland. I yeah, uh, Andy said that was really good, too. I need to read that. I enjoyed that. that very much, Did so. you get the collected uh, version of that? I did. It's a great It's a great volume. Yeah, I'm trying to think, uh, because I play video games and watch TV, I do not read comics anymore. <laughs> I go to the Stumptown Comics Fest here in Portland, and I'll get a ton of indie comics, and I'll read those, but like for the rest of the year, I'm not really reading anything. For someone who kind of works for Dark Horse Comics, I should get into comics more often. <laughs> Um, it can be difficult. It's always hard to know when to go in. Because, like, whenever I go to the comic shop, I pick up the comics that I read. Gets... And I stare at the new issues, and I'm like, I want to read something new. You if, know, it's if hard. If I were to spend $4 on something that takes me three minutes to read, that's good. Oh, Bill. See, I'm I don't... Saying. I, I see it as, am I... I I'm going to if put, I can find something good... I'm willing uh, to give my comic shop, the comics publisher, and the artist and writer for my dollars. I'm not arguing against reading comics. It's just, it can be a tricky proposition. You got you have to talk to people and see what's good. Yeah. I don't know. That's true of anything! I'm going to go spend $60 on a video game. I want to know what's not true. At least it's going to be 40 hours of pure bullshit. I want to spend least... 20 hours watching this TV show. It better not be shitty. It's true. Uh, anything, I have wasted right? three hours on Community. You need to read Parks and Rec. Or you need to watch Parks and Rec. You just need to get over it. Community is on Hulu Plus, so you could watch that on on Netflix. I'm too busy loving Parks and Rec. I need to, yeah, everyone keeps on raving about that. Ron Swanson is one of my favorite characters of all time, the end. You are not wrong. Anyway, that's Comics Talks, everybody. God damn. We'll figure out this podcast thing Jesus Lord. Next week we're going to talk about <laughs> video games last year. Oh, we were going to talk, I was thinking about having us talk about video games this week, but uh, this weekend is the, the oh my god, the VGAs, uh, which, and who gives a shit about the VGAs except there's always interesting comic, the VGAs, or, uh, blah, blah, video game uh, release information. I'm always interested in VGAs shit. until I actually watch it. Yeah, it's always fucking terrible every it's year. Like any award show. I guess there's going to be a Bioshock stuff that's going to be, I don't know if it's going to be an announcement. Uh, They're going to show a like, new trailer and they released a screenshot from the know, trailer. what the fuck, guys? We just want a fucking release date and then put the fucking game out so I can yeah. play it. I even When he posted that, I t- retweeted at him. Hey guys, this is my podcast. Tell me about what I retweet of celebrities. But I was like, man, I'd pay double for the game if I could just get it without any more spoilers or anything yeah. you know, being thrown at me. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, next week we'll be talking about. Uh, I'll be talking about Mario Kart, and we'll be flipping out. Well, it'll be our kind of game of the year kind yeah. of ish podcast. We'll talk about the games of, of the last year. Yeah, I'm excited like to that. talk about. Uh, we already know. Yeah, our biggest disappointment. I wrote a list up already, and we're like under the biggest disappointment, it's already LA Noir. <laughs> I don't know what else to put on it. Yep. Anyway, we'll see, you, we'll see you all next week, friends. Of course, we're brohowdy.org, uh, Boy Howdy Podcast on the Twitter. Are we brohowdy? Bro Howdy. Did I say brohowdy? Yeah, if we start talking about action films. Just... Coca-Cola's going right to my head. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh, yeah. We're, wait, what'd you say? I said we're boyhowdy.org. I didn't drink enough caffeine, so I'm... Um, we're Boy Howdy Podcast on Twitter. Yes. Thank y'all for listening. Yes. We'll see you next week. Hello there. Batman got on my nerves. 
He was running me a mouth. He ridiculed me, calling me a bum. I whoop.